0: You're listening to the Blue Box podcast and for the next 60 minutes, and it might actually be 60 minutes, (laughs) we're going to talk about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Simon and I'm JR and tonight we'll be talking about season 26 and we have no other emails and no other orders of business (laughs) so we can get right on with it but we've got a hundred thousand words of comments about stories yes four stories and we've got more comments on these four stories than we've had on any other season including (laughs) ones with about eight stories in cool So, we'll dive straight in. But before we do, there is one thing I ought to mention that I've not mentioned yet. But if you're going to be anywhere near Manchester on August Bank Holiday Weekend, and even if you're not going to be anywhere near Manchester on August Bank Holiday Weekend, then you need to make arrangements to be near Manchester on August Bank Holiday Weekend.
1: Is that including us? Are you talking to us as well?
0: Yeah, everybody. Okay. Because it's the Starburst Film Festival. Uh-huh. Oh, oh. And so, uh, well, if you want to find out details about it, go to starburstfilmfest.co.uk and you'll find all about what's on and how much it costs and where you can stay and when things are happening. Um, I've just written a few things down. You know the Inside Number 9 series? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Series 3 are going to have like a Ooh, premiere nice. there. Um, there's lots of Bond stuff with Bond people oh, there. Oh, yeah. oh, do you know the Thunderbirds are Go? Yes. The uh, new Super marionations they've made based on three scripts that never got filmed for the original 60s oh, okay. series. That, is that the one where they've actually used the original? It's not, it's not the CGI
2: one. No, no, no. It's, okay, they've used the original puppets and the Um and I think stuff. they've made yeah, yeah basically, 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 yeah. yeah. They've yeah, used the old okay. But so. You wouldn't know. Well, no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm I'm more pro that than the CGI. I didn't yeah. like the CGI ones. They It just didn't. Just lost the charm of. Actual puppet.
0: Hmm. Mm. Yeah, but the new ones were for a new generation <laughs> of. Uh... Were, were you pro? No, I nightmare.
1: didn't mind them at all. Oh, really? What I okay. saw was quite impressive. Okay. And story-wise, they were quite impressive as well. They're for the a Charlie new generation Hig- Charlie Higson, Yeah, it might not be. Charlie Hickson and people thing. like that writing for it, wasn't it? Anyway, okay. the new West old through. ones, yes.
0: the three they've made from... I think it was three scripts that never got filmed for the original series. They're showing those three as mm-hmm. screenings. There's a Ray Harryhausen thing oh. where they're going to have puppets and <laughs> designs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, basically, all sorts of stuff like that. Premiere of a new documentary about hammer films and screenings of various things you know stuff that's been newly restored and stuff like that Mm. basically three days over the august bank holiday weekend in manchester the first starburst film festival so you know that's anybody listening to this should be interested in what's going on there really i suspect but anyway season 26 then before we get into reading the comments about season 26 well, here are some of the comments that people have just made generally about the season. Steve Herr has said, my favourite season since season 22. At no, which point, no. you have to stop and wonder. <laughs> season 22 is the,
2: f- the first Colin Baker,
0: isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Matt's looking... That's deep. fair
2: enough. That's alright. Well...
0: Oh. <clears throat> He carries on and says <laughs> Seven and Ace really hit their stride and made a perfect TARDIS team that would influence New Who right up to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill Jennings says It is really hard to rate these episodes. In a sense, they are products of their time but in others, they point to the trajectory of the new series. For me, the first and second are close to each other and the same could be said for third and fourth. So here goes. And he's talking about what order he's going to vote them in there. Oh, right. Okay. So when he says first and second, he's actually talking about the curse of Fenric and Ghostlight. Yeah. And when he says third and fourth, he means survival and battlefield. Mm. Okay. Dylan Reese says, this was my first ever season of Doctor Who, and to this day, it is still my favourite. Favourite TARDIS team? Favourite theme tune? Favourite title sequence? Love it. Oh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. We'll have We'll have discussion. So.
2: I think yeah. no, I've never discussed <laughs> we've discussed it
0: the theme and the titles before, Simon. So yeah. don't you be making comments about people's emails here. If he likes it the best, fair enough.
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah. yeah. Fine.
0: He says, <laughs> yes, bits of it may be marred by some iffy performances and badly realised special effects, but name an era of Doctor Who that wasn't. Mm. And Gerard Gray says, I never watched season 26 when it was first shown, but it is now one of my favourites. I love Sylvester McCoy's portrayal of the Doctor, and I think The Curse of Fenric and Ghostlight are two of the very best 80s Doctor Who stories. Mm. Fair enough. <clears throat> Go on then. titles. And given what we were just saying about new Thunderbirds versus old Thunderbirds... I think that's quite pertinent to the Sylvester McCoy title sequence given oh, what they were title doing. Sequence. Pardon?
2: Uh th- sorry, the title sequence you're talking about.
0: Yeah, the titles and the music since it's just been brought up.
2: It's difficult for me because because I was I was probably the, <laughs> it wasn't the first the first era that I I remember. How old were but, you though in 89? So i had been t- uh, ten, 11 12 in 89. So but the title sequence I would have been Ten, Ten mm. which is a pretty good age to sort of still get excited about. It was the first change in music I can remember, because I'd, I pretty much had, I didn't notice the change between Peter Davison and Colin Baker. So for Father me, was barely any. Change, for me, the Starfield, the Starfield, and the music for the Starfield were tied in. So this was the m- most dramatic change I'd seen. So for me, it was really exciting. Yeah, I was going to say, and I felt for the CGI, the, the the computer generated things. I didn't notice that. I didn't like the logo at the time, particularly. I think, yeah, if I was going to pick on anything, it's the logo. Yeah, is, yeah.
0: Uh... Yeah, but you see, I've said this on here it before. Sets my teeth on edge. <clears throat> yeah, it did me at the time, but now I find it fine. I think it's, given what they're doing with the series at the time, I think it's, what? in some ways kind of appropriate well i think oddly oddly
2: at the time it felt like you knew it was going to be dated which was a problem at the time but now it has dated it's fine because it's <laughs> it's in the past so once things are in the past that's that's okay i that think, the, the I tubular,
1: think it's, it's a shocking piece of design that's i think the tubular
0: view. one is worse I think that really dates it because that just screams Again. 1980s. Again. Oh,
1: but yeah, well, you may be making a point there because I adore that. I still love that. Yeah, but that the
0: screams time. 1980s, whereas oh, the does. McCoy one screams 2000 AD. No, it doesn't. It oh, just we go straight screen, straight <laughs> Well, maybe it it's, does, it's, but it just doesn't work. But then I think that about the the
2: Moffat the Moffat. Logo with the, the D.W in the middle.: Oh, okay. I never like that.: But no, that's I bad design not as well. mad you, about that. If you read the the, the the Doctor Who magazine 500, there are two titles designs that they criticized. One the Sylvester McCoy, which was impossible to put at the top of the magazine. the second was the, the Stephen Moffat one, which mm. they had real problems with changing the color and various things. Mm-hmm. Mm. But yeah, I think the neon one, again, I'm sort of immune to it because I kind of grew up with it. In fact, that was the third. That was the first one I remember. No, I just about remember City of Death, but really the neon one, the neon one. Of course, it's kind of imprinted on my heart. Yeah. <laughs> and S- Sylvester McCoy one
0: is as well. Whereas for me, of course, it's the diamond one. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, if you're talking about the magazine, I like all of them apart I'd have from the... the McCoy one. <laughs> I don't thought the diamond one was the hardest one to put on the front of a magazine.
2: Yeah, possibly
0: strikes I, me as such because you'd have to make it so small that the words doctor in who quite especially included. doctor mm. it doesn't go
2: across the magazine but it acts as a badge yeah. and it's enclosed i think that the, the sylvester mccoy one it doesn't have that kind of box around it
1: do you know what the only place where that that mccoy logo looked right was on the cover of a tim quinn and dickie howitt thing did
0: you not think it looked right on the front of graphic novels and stuff like that no See, I do. New Adventures. I think the McCoy one looks so much more appropriate for things like graphic novels than any of the others. Yeah,
1: it does lend itself more to that stuff, which is why I say about the cartoony stuff. I don't mean that in putting it down to that. It's just it seemed to make more sense on there. Mm. Almost like they've gone to a comic and then worked backwards from there, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, but that's basically what they did. That's why I'm saying I think it fits. I'm not saying it's the most wonderful piece of design ever. No,
1: but I'm not saying that the series wasn't cartoony, was it? Yeah, it
0: kind of was.
1: Mm, okay. Yeah, we'll not get right. into this. Season
0: always, it's, it's... twenty-six is the least cartoony of the three McCoy series, but you look yeah. the greatest show in the galaxy and or, or,
1: or Battle... Paradise. I don't Tower. know if it's Battle... my memory, yeah, it but I do. Yeah, they say that seeing but, the logo on the figure packets, but this is and the Daypole figures,
2: and then seeing the series and the whole thing was quite cohesive. But this is almost accidental, isn't it? Because Cartmo is a really big fan of two thousand AD yeah. and Alan Moore. Yeah. But he wouldn't have been involved when no. the design came up. So mm. actually it's two different things happily
0: colliding <laughs> together. But having said works. that, his scripts would have been in and they would have been working on Paradise Towers at the very least when the, But he wouldn't have been employed when they start. <laughs> well, well no, they didn't quite, come up yeah. with the they didn't come up with the titles and the music before. Cartmel was around. He was around right. when *Time in the Rani* was being made. Right. Okay. He and actually, you know, I've said this many times, and we're supposed to be talking about season twenty-six, but I'll say <laughs> yeah, it again yeah. now. I think *Time in the Rani* is a lot more like Andrew Cartmel's Doctor Who than it is like Eric Saywood's Doctor Who. Mm. I think yeah. *Time in the Rani* it's has lighter. a cartoony quality. Yeah. yeah. And I and to me, that kind of obviously *Time in the Rani* is. A completely different kettle of fish from Paradise Towers <laughs> and Delta and Abanamen. Yeah. But that whole season 24 thing fits mm. that sort of cartoony quality. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's funny, though, because I think the series was at a point where I was screaming in my head. I was screaming for the thing to be taken seriously from those... From inside as well as outside, and then that logo came along. And I thought, "Well, they're not taking it seriously. See, they're making it I'd, more I'd, cartoony." I'd, but then it comes around to Andrew Cartman and you th- and you know, I, I watched some last night, and I watched some this afternoon to kind of refresh my memory with we twenty six. And there's where where it does start taking me taken seriously. I, see,
2: I remember watching. I remember watching season twenty four, and even at that age, and with my brother, was watching it with my brother who's older than me. And we were both saying it needs to be taken more seriously. But we thought about that up until the opening sequence to Remembrance of the Daleks, mm. where there's a pre-title sequence. And suddenly that, yeah, you know, the title yeah, sequence it was makes sense because it explodes into, mm. It's, mm. it's actually got that, it's actually made for pre-title sequences. It is really, yeah. And especially mm. one like Remembrance. And that first episode of Remembrance is the moment where we decided that Doctor Who might survive and might yeah. carry on just as it's. But being wound down
0: yeah i think the issue is and this is something that you look back and see with retrospect with hindsight that's not necessarily apparent at the time i think the issue is not that people weren't taking it seriously enough but that people were taking it too seriously bbc are expecting too much of it and eric saywood is you know wanting to do something that wants to be taken seriously mm. and I think that's the issue after six years after six years of Christopher H Bidmead and Eric Saywood mm. it's like Doctor who's trying to be taken really seriously <laughs> whereas in the 1970s it was just a bit of knockabout fun really
1: yeah is there an argument for saying that if something's played straight like when we look at children's drama and we see it tr- played straight that's when it works best and that, i think that's why well, i think that's that's, yeah, but what, that's they did.
0: what i think yeah. season 25 and 26 do yeah, yeah it's light definitely. and it's fun but yeah. they're taking it mostly taking it seriously yeah, yeah. no
2: I, 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 agree. I think that's yeah that's the thing it's it's intended to be fluffy but if it's
0: performed
2: really seriously and directed like it's a, you know directed as best as you can it's when they sort of mm. stop stop um stop uh, actually, working at directing, mm. or when they just think that's enough, mm. or when the actors think, "Well, this is silly. I'm just going to perform this as if it's silly." That's when it. Mm. But it's mm. it's when it's written as if it's Chekhov. <laughs> I think that's that's the
0: key. If it's written, if you look at Happiness Patrol, yeah, I think that's a great example of what Doctor Who should have been like during the mm. 1980s, mm. because and people. And I think this is people who aren't watching it properly or have not seen it for a long time think the actors are taking a mickey out of material and hamming it up. Mm. But actually, if you look at Happiness Patrol, everybody in that is taking it deadly seriously. Mm. They're just dressed in pink.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, it is, yeah. and it's yeah, telling this like story and that yeah. on a sort of eight-year-olds level, mm. it's just this daft story about a bunch of old women who are going around killing yeah. people who can't keep a smile As on their face. As we've said before, if
1: that story, well, I don't know about that particular story, convert it to a comic strip, and it's like, oh, okay,
0: what's yeah. perfectly for eight-year-olds on that level, mm. and on a deeper level, for older people, works on a and, political level. And
2: actually, I think the exception to all of this is is season 26. Yes. Because I think the writing's very serious, but for me it's the time when it gets it right. So this is how Doctor Who can be serious and also work as Doctor Who.
0: Well, I don't like season 26 as much as 25 or 24. Okay. But only by a matter of degrees. Yeah. Because I think season 26, apart from one story, and we'll get to that, I think season 26 is taking itself a bit too seriously. I... <laughs> see, this is the, the big... Uh, this is the
1: irony for me, is that I wanted it to be taken seriously. And then... It felt like the focal point shifted of the seriousness onto the Doctor being this big figure. We'll get into this. And I didn't quite like that. I didn't like that shift of focus. I thought, the first, like we say, the seriousness should have been in the, the the underbelly of the thing where it's mm. just played straight. Like the original series of Star Trek. Yeah.
0: Well, the Doctor should it's... have been this shambolic character who turns up in a serious situation mm. and solves it. Yeah, and all of a sudden he's the centre
1: of the situation.
0: Yeah, and it's a, and sort of in season twenty six you've kind of got him as this serious character, even though it's still McCoy, obviously mm. turning up in serious situations. And I don't think you had the lightness of touch that you got in right. things like Paradise Towers and Happiness Patrol. And those two stories fall down on their production, but they don't follow fall down on their mm. scripts or ideas. Mm. Except in this season, the Doctor isn't the centre; it's Ace. This is the season mm. where Ace becomes the centre.
2: Yes, and the but Doctor what, becomes uh, a
0: peripheral... No, what pivot. me and si- No, the Doctor is central because what the Doctor's doing is pressing Ace's buttons. Yeah. For me, that's the same as um, Clara in the last two series with Peter Capaldi. Yeah. It looks like it's about Clara because mm. Clara's the one who's got the fingers on all the buttons that is making things happen. But what is happening, really, is that you're seeing him through her. Yeah, and, and I an think a, there's an element of the yeah, Curse of Fenric. You know, the
1: Doctor turns up, and it turns out that the Doctor had something to do with Fenric in the first place. Old time Lord, here you go again. Mm. You've got that battlefield. He turns up, and all of a sudden he's Merlin, um, light.
0: That's when he takes Ace back to when he takes where Ace she back, had the yeah, incident. Where he's manipulating. And all thing. these times, he she's the one who's being taken back to see her mother as a small child, or whatever. Yeah. But the point is, it's the Doctor who's taken her there. But also. The, so you asked the question, why is the Doctor doing all these things?
2: And and I think that question isn't answered in this season I think no. this, that question was probably going to be answered in the following seasons and I think it was going to be an ace centric, I think this was an ace story arc that we saw the beginning of but didn't see the end of and now we've got about four different resolutions for the I, ace story. I, but, I love
1: the idea and I love the idea that the Doctor's doing this and taking the companion on a journey to kind of take a, you know, and there's that symbolic swim at the end of Curse of Fenric which kind of, you know, brings it baptism. Yeah, uh, and I love that. It's just a feeling that the whole thing is kind of happening around the Doctor. Does that make sense? Well, yeah,
0: if you want to put it this way, the Doctor's the one with the agency. He's the one who's manoeuvring Ace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, regardless of whether she appears to be at the centre of the stories, it's actually his manipulation of her that's at the centre of the stories. But
2: by, by survival, Ace has the agency, so the story of the season is Basically, the agency being transferred or given to Ace. So actually, by the end of Survival, Ace is more in control than the Doctor is because she's she, the one that's, well, that's, the one that's going between point. planets. But she doesn't solve it, does she? She doesn't solve it, no, because it's still Doctor Who. Hmm. But she has the agency. And I wonder if that that progression would carry on. And I think this is possible if you only
0: do it in a, well, few, she only, in a few seasons. She's only supposed have to have two this. more stories after this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and then she kind
2: of... And, and, and the thing as well is,
1: you know, you, you kind of feel is, is the story playing out how the Doctor wants it to, in which case was it always going to end up like that? Well, or this is, is he turning up and
2: he actually this, he doesn't, he just gets him into the situation. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. That's the great thing because he doesn't, does he? I mean, every, I mean, this, all the stories come from the Doctor thinking that he's in control, mm. and then he rapidly slips out of control. I mean, the number of times in this season you see. Sylvester McCoy going wobbly mm. and, and starting to panic and it happens in every story that mm. the doctor doesn't quite know what's going on because it's it's he's playing too many pieces and it's gone out of his control
0: mm. and, and that's a classic three-act structure first act is the doctor manipulating the pieces into place the second act is the doctor realizing Oh, perhaps putting those pieces in those positions wasn't such a good thing after all. <laughs> yeah. And then the third act is where he works a way around it and solves it. But in it's, the that,
2: end. it's that working his way around it. That's when the old doctor comes out because basically yeah. McCoy improvises. And that's when it's, mm, and that's so, when it's great. And, and so that's what, when he's like, what we've, Tom got, Baker. Here, what we've got here is four, four Doctor Who stories that start out unusually because the doctor's trying to guide events. Mm. And it's basically the story of each story is. The tra- has the trajectory of becoming a traditional Doctor Who story where the Doctor just solves it with a piece of string at the end or talks an, an enemy into submission. Mm. And so each time the story's snapping back into the shape of a, a classic series Doctor Who story. Mm. And I don't mind the Dark Doctor thing because it's a quite an enclosed idea. I mean, it's only it only <clears> becomes <throat> a headache when it starts to be the subject of about 50 books but yeah, isn't it yeah. so funny
1: how we get these complaints about, oh, well, all of a sudden it's all about Clara. All, all, all of a sudden it's all about Amy. Well, and I yet think... here is a whole series all about Amy. Yeah, America. but that's what yeah. I mean. Yeah.
0: This is as close to modern series eight and modern series nine as the old series mm. really probably yeah, got. Yeah. And, and, can... and I don't think it's remotely a problem. Like I say, I only prefer 24 and 25 by a matter of small mm. degrees. Yeah, but more I think variety all... in it. But, yeah, mm. and, and a bit more lightness of touch. But I think all three of those are great. And the thing is, I think I'd like season 26 more if we had gone on to have a season 27 and a season 28, mm. which swung the balance back around yeah, again, yeah. which, much, I think which is would have, probably yeah. what's going to happen with series validity 10. was it? Because was this trajectory about Ace becoming a time lord or something. Is that,
1: is that, yeah, is yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was
0: all... She goes to train in the Time Lord Academy at the end of the second story of season 27. Oh, okay. But of course we don't get there, the, so we don't no. see it. The
2: tricky thing talking about, and we haven't, we've, we've stopped talking about the season. Well, yeah, yeah. The tricky fine. thing talking about the season is to sort of surgically remove it from what happened afterwards and what happened before. Because mm. you've got the weight of the new adventures and big finish after it. And that, that colours season twenty season 26 turns out to be a template. For the new Avengers, yeah, but new I, Avengers, new yeah. Adventures. <laughs> and the new adventures is the kind of the 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 breeding ground, is the incubator for the new series. So that's the that's a part. But <clears treating throat> no, it, I find it very it easy not to, yourself, not to not to regard that. Well, except for the the, the issue we were talking about, the Dark Doctor issue. Mm. Actually, that's, that's not, what I mean. That's not a massive thing. You have to sort of yeah.
1: It's interesting because after all this time, I I watched Ghostlight last night and I watched. In fast forward, curse of Friend, just to, wow. to refresh your to, to memory, refresh my memory this afternoon. But also, I'm, I'm smack in the middle of reading Just War, Lance Parkins' Just War, mm.
0: which is that the Nazi one, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, it's for me, it's all starting to slide into place of where this sits and mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be, yeah. So, and like all I these say, years, it's been, I've been. Not so much rallying against it, but not, never quite sure how it was you supposed to You can
0: completely understand why the new adventures go where they do. Because yeah. they're supposed to be aimed at an older crowd. Of course they're going to have to be aimed at an older crowd. Because it needs to be aimed at you know uh, people who've got money in their pockets. Mm. But if the series had carried on... Mm. I would like to think that it wouldn't have carried on going in that direction. Otherwise, you'd have been back at the same issues within a couple of years, as you'd had with season twenty-two and twenty-three. Yeah. Different, slightly different variation on those issues, but you'd have had the same issues. Mm. If if the program insists upon growing up with its audience, when that audience leaves, it's not going to catch the new audience when the new audience well, this arrives. This is this is the, discurs- the this, this, disconcerting thing <laughs> about
2: about what's happened since the new series started. Because after the cancellation of the series and through the new adventures, and I was the perfect age for this, I grew up as Doctor Who grew up with me. So I had the new event, the new adventures just as I needed them. Mm. And the magazine throughout the 90s, this is what I got from reading the history of the magazine. The magazine for me in the 1990s was fantastic because yes. it was slowly, it was starting when I went to university, it had articles about, at a university level, yeah, yeah, yeah. about narrative and various things like that. And then when the new series started, it quite rightly snapped back to being Mm. aimed at anything from 8 to 18 18 years old. They had to introduce the Doctor Who adventures to try and compensate for Mm. the very young people. Mm. But I found that disconcerting. But I can see why they did it. But suddenly the magazine became not for me. I think it's like the the Harry Potter books. The Harry Potter books grew up with the the readership. Mm. And that's what Mm. Doctor Who did.
0: I think what the new series is doing, which is... Well, it looks to me, and we're only like 11 years in, nine series in, Mm. but it looks to me like what it's doing is kind of undulating. Yeah. So that you'll have a year where it's slightly older and then you'll have a year where it's slightly younger. Yeah. Series 4 with Catherine Tate, that was a slightly older version of Doctor Who. Mm. And Series 5, I mean, it had a lot of texture that older people could latch on to. But actually, the stories in Series 5 and the way the Doctor's behaving Mm. is younger again, if you ask me. And it's kind of... And so the first couple of Peter Capaldi ones are slightly older again. But I get the impression that next year's series will be slightly younger again. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so we've got this thing where, instead of growing up with its audience... It's allowing its audience to bounce around, but yeah. always aiming to catch the next yeah. audience as yeah. it comes.
2: And it's possible. It's possible also that it's growing up as Moffat's children are growing up because well, because yeah, the that's true. These ideas, and as they get older, but,
0: yeah. But yeah. I think he's yeah. But he'll start. I think he's will compensate. Yeah, exactly. Shall we um, actually talk about this get story. into the four stories? <laughs> yeah, the one that came in fourth. This probably surprised a few mm. people. It doesn't remotely surprise me, to be honest. Okay. Um, Jeff Waddell says bit meh for me. I'm afraid. Mark Clapham says not as slick a production as Fenwick but a sudden return to contemporary reality and thematically tighter and more interesting.
1: He's more listening now.
0: Mark Clapham. Yeah, or has he always listened. He's always there. Is <laughs> he <laughs> outside your Hello door? Mark. Okay, is he a mate of yours or something?
1: Well, not well, mate. I've I've met him through different things. Okay. I illustrated his story in one, one of the books and stuff
0: Okay, any, no, maybe you just saw it on, that you, I don't know <laughs> This is great for everybody else who's listening No, no to the no. I, just,
1: I was just taking, well, obviously he's written the, <clears throat> for the Yes
0: Okay <clears throat>
1: <laughs> Well, there might be listeners who recognise his name
0: Well, that's true actually As a yeah, writer Fair enough Well, I hope he is listening then. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Mark. He says, "Oh God, everybody listens to this podcast." Yeah, I've been doing it. It's what is it? Two years since the Doctor Who story had the line, "I care, so you don't have to." In it, where do you think that line came from? (laughs) Seeing as as Phil Ford had not six months before that been a guest on this very podcast, Mm -hmm. and I'd said this down the Skype to him. Mark Clapham says, not as slick a production as Curse of Fenric, but a sudden return to contemporary reality and thematically tighter and more interesting. In its last moments, the 20th century series stumbles upon a connection to the present that was long missed and which has been baked into the 21st century series. Christopher Bryant, people might also recognise his name. Yeah. Says, this story is trying to convey, convey lots of things, but without enough subtlety. Survival of the fittest has to be mentioned on a regular basis. Mm. The Cheetah People costumes simply don't work, and nor does the animatronic cat. A very average story to see out the original run.
1: I think they photograph well.
0: Yeah, like a lot lot of monsters. Like the Silurians we were saying last week. Or the week before. Yeah, photograph great, but as soon as you see them moving, they just don't convince anymore. I thought they were incredibly sexy. Well, the cat people. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God! Save it for when we get through okay. the emails. Yeah, little, the little I'm going to have to go.
1: People into though. that they're
2: actually. Cats. Oh, the little ones. No, yeah. I didn't find them sexy. No, okay. Because they were like, yeah, cats. The cats. Cats. Yeah. I mean the actual, that was the cute. actual furry kind of. Yeah.
0: Anyway, moving on. the Bowman in a cat costume. Is yeah. that what you're saying, Matt.
2: Yeah, I really like cats as well. The, the Lloyd, well, oh, the Lloyd that's weather. a bit
0: more than Simon and I wanted to hear.
2: Well, Leo, leotards with furry hands. What's not to love? <laughs> leotard with
1: furry hands. Come on. Oh dear. Oh no, wow. I don't know where
2: this is going. Uh, on, just put, listen. Just, put, just put listen. Put me in a leotard with furry hands and, <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I'll, be, I'll, I'll be well away. Sorry, I'm listening. What, no, is, I'm just going to repeat back. Where does Freddy Starr come to I'm mind? just going to repeat back our exchange <laughs> so you can see why Simon and I might have had an issue with it. Me. So you find cats? No. So you find people in cat costumes sexy? Do you, Matt? Matt? Yes. And I like cats as well. Cats the musical. Oh, okay. You see, no, those, I, Simon and if, I could, could easily have mistaken that. Yeah, one. yeah. yeah. But, Something else. but if you
2: hadn't been deafened by your own laughter, you'd have heard me say, "Clarify that it was Cats, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical." I don't like Andrew Lloyd Webber, but I do well, like I Cats do.
0: the musical. Well, do
2: you think if it's you put days, Andrew he, Lloyd right? Webber in a leotard oh, d- with
0: fairy mitts in my I mind? I also theory. like
2: the Cat Nuns in the new series. I find them similarly. I think I might have
0: a problem. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. Much like Elton John's early work is the best stuff. Yes, it? yes,
0: much like that. Well, yeah. Very, very early work. Very, very early. Oh, when yeah. He went off very, very oh, soon. yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <clears throat> anyway. Last word on that subject. Meow. And now Rob Irwin says, at the time, the urban feel really annoyed me. Doctor Ooh. Who wasn't supposed to be like that. Ooh. And the stunt casting of Hale and Pace just felt ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Looking back, of course, it's the blueprint in some ways for Series 1. Russell T Davies Series 1. Not that anyone knew that at the time, of course. It has a degree of cheesiness, however, which stops it being a really great story, though. Steve Hur says teddy bears on horses evoked memories of Planet of the Apes, which terrified me as a child. Mm-hmm. Even the poor acting from some guest stars, the animatronic cat and the mattress could not distract from a good, solid story bolstered by Anthony Ainley's best performance. Yeah.
1: Do you know what they should have done with that cat? They should have done where the camera centred on that cat and its head just rotated 360 <laughs> degrees slowly. Oh, that would It'd have been cr- yeah
0: I don't suppose it could, though.
1: Not without a spring popping out. Yeah.
0: It. Might be that would have been even scarier. It would have, yeah. What does Dylan Reese say? Dylan Reese says, an epic end to the classic series. The direction is top-notch, the script is layered and enthralling, and Ainley gives his best performance, as does Aldred. Mm. I know the cheetah people come in for a knocking, but I love their design. Just don't mention the fake cats. Every week, Dylan Reese oscillates
2: between me completely disagreeing with him and completely agreeing with him. Oh, so the two of you are undulating strange. as well as we're the un- yeah, we're undulating
0: together. <laughs> Me and Dylan. Well <clears throat> all I can say is I kinda I'm guessing that you're agreeing with him this week. Yeah. yeah. Brendan Day says a tale of what might have been watching it now, it has a melancholic air about it. I love the mixture of society and surrealism, the sunbaked streets of Perivale, creepy kids and cats on horses. And, of course, it has that ending coda as their heroes walk off into the sunset in search of adventure and a cuppa. David Kitchen says, I not only rate this the best of the season, but the best story of the 1980s. The feel, the look, the music, the cast, all brilliant. Ainley gives his best performance as the master. Agreed. And McCoy, his best as the Doctor. Doctor Who ends with the Doctor returning a Londoner back home. A fitting and wonderful end to the show. And John Rivers says, Worthy enough, captures the boredom of the suburbs perfectly and contrasts wonderfully with the Cheetah Planet. Army bloke and the survival of the fittest stuff is the weak link here. Mm. Seen as the link from classic to new series, it may have inspired Rose, but once Aliens of London arrives, this story seems small and missable by comparison. Mm. Um, I think survival just does what it does really clumsily. And I think that's the issue with it, and I think that's why it's easily the worst of these four stories for me. The other stories suffer from various things, including production on Battlefield, overambition on The Curse of Fenric, and an unwillingness to engage with the audience on terms the audience might understand with Ghostlight. But I think all those are issues that don't necessarily detract from the story itself. Mm. Whereas with survival, I think it's the story itself that's clumsy. And I can fully understand and engage with what it's trying to do. Mm. But I just think every time it does something clumsy, it knocks me back out of...
1: I remember feeling that. I don't think I've watched it since it was originally on. Not, wow. pro- not
0: properly. Okay. I've
1: seen bits and pieces of it. Yeah. I this do remember the climax. Really, it really, the, the climax builds well, because I remember yeah. getting, getting to the end and thinking, Well which oh, one? Because there's like, like there. three. Oh, no, the very end. That, mm. that battle with the master. and
2: Yeah, the confrontation with the master on the street. Yeah. yeah, really. I thought it held together. I thought the story was really strong. And the themes, I think I agree possibly that they, they mentioned Survival of the Fittest Slightly too many times to hammer home that theme, but I think it was a strong I think it was a strong <clears> through theme that actually that actually played out in different in different ways amongst the different characters well see related. there are also
0: bits like the bit on the motorbike at the end yeah which is obviously aiming to be that sort of graphic novel sort of um, slightly analogous rather than real version of Doctor Who yeah. that hasn't really surfaced much if anywhere else in season 26 there are elements of it in the Merlin storyline and there are slight elements of it in Ghostlight but it's almost gone altogether in Curse of Fenric and survival having something like the motorbike bit at the end is really at odds with the rest of the way the story works and the sort of storyline for Ace yes the storyline for Ace is a very interesting storyline for the character, particularly coming at the end of this season. But to me, it takes it just slightly too far. I don't know. I was really
2: affected by the... Because it's almost a, it's a very traditional Doctor Who thing to have a character being possessed. <clears throat> but the way it's done in this story, there's, the a of, she... there's a kind of an almost sexual way that she's being, <laughs> being possessed. And I think... They had bits of that in *Curse of Fenric*. This kind of mm. Ace's sexuality coming out, mm. and that was slightly more clumsy. That felt like a man. Yeah, pretty, yeah. Oh yeah. no, no. I've, with this one, I it watched felt it today, and that was really yeah, kind yeah. of like. But but, but with with really so with this crude. one, I think it was yeah. really powerful. I think it really worked. It was this kind of coming of age, mm, coming mm. of age. I
0: remember it almost yeah.
1: felt like she, her character was going to continue like that from that point onwards. Mm. That it wasn't
0: going with to leave it, her. You
2: know, it may have. It may have done. Mm. I don't know I don't know. How well, she only had there. two
0: stories left mm. at this point and of course in the second of those two stories she goes off to Time Lord Academy so mm. you know maybe it would but it felt to me like it pushed her too far. Mm. I couldn't I couldn't accept cause, and maybe this is to do with the actress as well but I just couldn't accept that Sophie Aldred was going through that change. Right. And I it, I bought it. I yeah. I think if you
2: buy it you're fine. If you don't buy it, then you're screwed. That's yeah. the, I think it had to go that distance because logically she had to... There had to be... Because the real climax is her her wrestling with her cat self and trying to decide where home is and whether that's Perivel or the Cheetah Planet or the TARDIS. So it's a kind of a triangular pull for her <laughs> and she chooses the TARDIS ultimately. <laughs> and that's the final... I mean, that, that's kind of... Whether or not it was intended is the the resolution of the entire series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She discovers she's she's effectively been Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz since Dragonfire, mm. trying to get home, but, but she, she never wakes re- out of the dream. Yeah, and she has, but she hasn't realised that actually home is where she is all the time. It's in the TARDIS, and this is the this is the moment where that becomes clear. Mm. I think, mm. and that's actually a perfect, almost a perfect think... conclusion to the entire series. Mm. <laughs> the entire well, yeah, series yeah. yeah, accidentally yeah. Because. You have a finder. You have a companion, mm. who finds a home in the TARDIS rather than a companion that wants to leave, like Tegan wants to leave all the time. Mm. Mm. And at last, you're back to a companion that actually, that actually wants to be there.
0: Well, it's like the series goes out with Ace as Susan, mm. yeah, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of, she starts off as Ian and Barbara and ends up as Susan.
2: Yeah, and if the series had panned out as
0: it if would have it been even more. Be, she would have yeah. permanently
2: found a home in Gallifrey. the TARDIS, which is, would be Gallifrey.
0: Mm. And the things that were really clumsy, though, that undermined it were—and not Hail and Pace. I was fine no, with I Hail and I Pace. Loved them. I thought mm-hmm. they, and I thought I thought their scene was really strong. It's,
2: it's, Simon's not agreeing. It was like, an I don't, thought, see, I'm having to go on memory here, but I just, uh, and the
1: clips I've seen, it just seems to stick out like a sore thumb. But that's probably because I'm aware of them being Hail and Page. Well, yeah, I
0: don't think they're great, but I think it works essentially. I think, mm. I think the performances are fine. I think it
2: sticks out because it it's a break from the main action. But actually, the conversation that they have is like a mummers' play, kind of acting out the whole of the the theme. In a like a little condensed piece of story, mm-hmm. and, and that's basically, kind of what, what the what the original series has time to do. That's exactly the thing that the new series doesn't have time to do.
0: But that uh, scene works in the same way as the bit where the Doctor disarms the snipers yeah, in the Happiness yeah. Patrol, or when he um, in Paradise Towers. There's the scene where he talks himself out of being um incarcerated. Mm-hmm. He talks his way.
2: Kind of works like that, and, it, and, it's, and it's also kind of almost the role of Inspector McKenzie in Ghost Light as yeah, well. Yeah, there's yeah. a few extra things, but that's that's what he's there for. But for what like that's
0: at odds with is not the rest of the story or the rest of the series, but the rest of the stuff on planet Earth in survival. That I, I haven't got a program right in front of me the army guy and his recruits, and then the skinny bloke who puts the dark glasses on and suddenly is the tough guy. Yeah, all that stuff. Really didn't work. No, it probably needed a few people editing. Um, it needed to be. I
2: think the army guy worked, but but I the, think the character because...
0: worked, but because the rest of it didn't work around him, no, it made him look no. silly.
2: But 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 actually, making him look silly was a was the intention, presumably. Because, yeah, but not for that reason. Because you have him being being top of the heap, the the fittest. Yeah. In in on earth, and then suddenly he goes to the bottom of the heap. He's the guy, he's basically Adam in the new series. He's the guy that can't handle mm. the difference. And it's the teenagers around him that are actually the strongest.
0: But so because the see, teenagers the contrast. are so badly cast and performed, it well, undermines that whole they're storyline. Of, they're
2: kind of rather educated, sort of.
0: Yeah. Which, well, is, let's which when, is, I,
1: when I watched this, I was, I suppose I was 18. Yeah, was it 18? Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, about 18. So they were contemporaries. so I, I instantly uh, hated them. But they're like the Kangs in Paradise <laughs> Towers. So they're a brilliant idea. Mm. But because they were drawing on on a very sort of traditional theatrical mm. um, kind of pool of actors, they didn't have that kind of... Or they, they probably did have that, but they didn't draw on the sort of the, because the because more I think working the, class. But I think the, the of, Kangs
0: work much better than this because there is supposed to be an archness and a difference about them. Possibly. Whereas here, there isn't. Yeah. Here, you are supposed <laughs> to recognise these people yeah. as people you could have gone to yeah. school with. The dialogue Kang, of the Kangs, Kangs. are day di- glow pink and
2: green and... Yeah, but they're still... The, characters the are dialogue well. is supposed to be slang and they are talking in received pronunciation. All this yes, but I don't... sounds like a shoe on it. It's been a criticism that's
0: been... Well, it is, but I, it works for me. Build high for happiness. <laughs> yeah, but it's not that bad. No. You're sort of over-exaggerating it. But here, they are literally supposed to be teenagers off the street. And they're supposed to be off like a council estate as well. I didn't like Mitch. That shouldn't be hard to pull off, should it? In theory. But by the same token, Ace doesn't pull off who she's supposed to be in Dragonfire.
2: The the girl Ace meets who's uh, collecting for charity on the street, she was really good. I but thought she did she that good. one scene. Yeah, didn't she, but if, if she'd been the continuing, it was the other teen the teenagers that went with her, and mm. Mitch, Mitch wasn't. I didn't find Mitch very convincing. Not at all. But the master was
0: Anthony Ainley. It's true, he was really good. In it. Mm. But was, you see, really, I love in that a idea way, the master's been caught
1: there. Yeah, yeah. caught out. And but
0: then. you know what? In a way, to me, that also undermines the story having the master in it because it should be a story about Ace and it should be a story about what this planet does and it should be a story where this planet is the centre of what's orbiting around it Mm. but as soon as you throw the master in, that balance of power within the story is off and instead of being about the cheetah people is about the master or is it about the master is it about the cheetah people and all of a sudden you've got this question and you've got not it's not just a question but it's the balance of focus mm-hmm. and the balance of focus is out you're absolutely right yeah say so, right. right what what purpose is <coughs> what is the master's
1: purpose in the story and you think right the purpose is to shift the focus of the
0: story away from where it should be where it should be yeah, yeah. and like matt says actually in some ways Having the master there makes it a sort of, not a, a paradigm, but a paradigm shift, and maybe a paradigm shift that's supposed to reflect where the series comes from. And the master becomes kind of the yang to the doctor's yin. so you see where the doctor's journey ends by seeing the master. But like I say, because you've shifted the focus away he's from that, he's there for the Yeah, he's and that's there. Probably it. really. I, th-
2: I think I agree, except. Because it is Aine, really probably his best performance, yeah. and it's really yeah. powerful. yeah. And that, that cliffhanger where he appears, is a really good, really good cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of makes up for... I agree that he's probably one element too many, but yeah, I'd yeah. rather cut out some of the other elements and make it a, a, a slightly more focused master story. Well as yeah, in the whole yeah, thing yeah. is manipulated by him in some yeah, respects. Yeah. So yeah. then it becomes or else it feeds yeah. Which it kind of Well I don't I mean, mind seeing it kind him. Of, mm. It kind of he he was the one that that got the cat people's power, the cheetah people's power, mm. and started using it. So he was the one that actually quite liked the fact that he had this this extra power.
1: I quite like the way that feeds into what they did with the T V movie. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: It's a little bit this animal, kind of
1: animalistic
2: yeah. mask. Mm, yeah. Yeah.
0: Because this is a master, of course, beyond the end of his regenerations. Mm. So you're kind of catching the master in an anything goes position. You know? yeah, yeah. And I so, think that works. I think that does yeah, work. Yeah, it does. But time. like I say, I think the balance of focus is yeah. off. And yeah. Survival is one of those ones where, I don't know, there are some bits about it I really, really, really like. Mm. And one yes. of those things is the music. Yes. But yeah. there are other things about it that I just... So Marquez at this point, isn't it? Uh, Mark Ayers in Survival, I couldn't tell you a fan who did Is it Survival. Dominic Glenn? I think it could be. Does? yeah, Because he did the guitar. It's one with all the guitars, yeah. yeah. All right. It's got the Ennio Morricone style no, The DVD sitting over there. You know, just...
2: you know what? I like Kev McCulloch.
0: I actually yeah. I'm, I
2: think I'm the only person in the country that really likes the music, too. I don't think remember. it's just the I think it's, I think it's any it. country. Paradise Towers. No, I think quite a few of our listeners like I had the 25th anniversary album. Mm. And I got into it like you would get into any music album. I got into the music of Paradise Towers <laughs> and Remembrance of the Daleks. Mm. Really I think heavily. his
0: Paradise Towers is better than his Remembrance of the Daleks, to be fair. And his Battlefield. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah, yeah. Battlefield was. <laughs> uh, I, so I wouldn't put. I wouldn't uh,
2: put Survival at the bottom. For me, Survival isn't the worst story of that series. Least best. Yeah, least Come best. Come on, remember what podcast are. Because I think, to be honest, I think... That well, it's... actually, it is least best because I think this is a really strong season. I was I just going to say, yeah. I think the previous one is a really strong season. So, for me, um, they're, they're all fairly even, but one, for me, sticks out as being
0: not quite as good as the others. Mm. Of season 26? Yeah. Which is Battlefield. Yeah. And that's the one we're coming to in third place. Third, third, third place. Jeff Waddell says, Another draft away from being very, very good. And the devil rides out. Homage is great. The romance, not so much. Mark Clapham says, A mess, but I quite like it. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Christopher Bryant says, and Christopher Bryant voted this first. He says, This story is full of interesting characters, a surprisingly effective pairing between the seventh doctor and the brigadier, some outstanding scenes that sear themselves into the memory, and one of the original series' best ever monsters. Yes, it also has the boom moment, the bit about the lawnmower, and a few dubious moments from some of the guest cast. By the end of the 1980s, Doctor Who was far from operating at full effectiveness. Stories like this show that they were still just doing the best they could. Rob Irwin says, The 14-year-old me in 1989 thought this was the best story of the series, now I think it's the least best. It's funny how our opinions change over time. Looking back, it makes me wonder whether Ben Aronovich shot his wad on Remembrance, or if more seasons had been made, whether he would have bounced back with the great third story. He's like Neil Gaiman in that respect. Amazing first story, disappointing second story. Steve Hur says the Destroyer was beautiful and terrifying. Made me question why I was embarrassed to be a Doctor Who fan. Plus, the Brig meets Seven. My old fanboy hearts were racing again. Dylan Reese says the Almost Great Season Opener hastily rewritten from a three-part story to a four-part and lumbered with a costume designer who didn't read the script. But hooray for Nick Courtney, Jean Marsh and the design of the Destroyer. Boo for the manic laughing, boom and the fairy lights in the spaceship. Brendan Day, a joyous romp of a story with Nick Courtney effortlessly pulling on the unit jumper and reminding us all... Well, yeah.
2: <laughs> <I can't. laughs> Only
0: because somebody had let it out. Slightly.
2: Why did it have to be a jumper?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and reminding us all how much he has missed. I'm not sure about I'm not so sure about the whole doctor Is Merlin. I am, I think that's a fantastic conceit. But Gene Marsh mm. shines in a role just the right side of Camp. The destroyer seems to have wandered onto the Doctor Who set from a movie it's so well realized it makes you wonder why all of the creatures couldn't be the same. That said, it is underused and the fairy lights in the spaceship bring you back to BBC bargain bucket budget of the 1980s. David Kitchen, although it has some weak points, there's a lot to love in this story. I remember seeing this for the first time at a local club meeting months before it was screened in Australia. In a room of nearly 100 fans, there was utter (laughs) silence when everyone thought, just for a moment, that the Brigadier was dead. I misread fans as farts
2: for a second just at this angle
0: (laughs) nearly a hundred farts in a room
2: boom (laughs) boom that would be (laughs) easy. otherwise known as the destroyer (laughs) sorry carry on and
0: John Rivers says oh shame actually this is fun enough just let down by the effects and some odd acting choices for example boom yeah and I think I think there are two really weak things in here the first is Bambera. I, yeah. I nope. just <laughs> No, I just can't go with that character. I think it's mm. awful. Mm. And the second is Shu Yin, is it? Shu Lin? Shaolin. The girl yeah. who yeah. Ace pairs up with. I think yeah. it's Shu, isn't it? Shu Lin. I don't know, I could be wrong. Yeah, that doesn't really work either. It's cheap. <laughs> the budget doesn't even begin to remotely cover what the script's asking for. Mm. But I think it's a wonderful script. And I think some of the acting in it, Marcus Gilbert and Gene Marsh, I think are astonishing. And it's got some um, Pat Rowlinson and uh, what's his face in the running the inn? Amazing. Yes. I think it's got some astonishing ideas and some really sophisticated stuff. The bit where Gene Marsh gives the. Um, landlady, your eyesight back.
1: Oh, yeah. Just minutes
0: after killing Mm. the unit soldier who's helicoptered the brigadier over. And weren't we all thinking, oh, I can't wait till she's running around shooting people, this soldier who's in the helicopter. Next thing you know, she's dead.
3: Mm.
0: I think there's some some really amazing stuff in here. And I've been on record many times, but I'll say it again because we're talking about the story now. One of my favourite lines of dialogue in all of Doctor Who not just because of the line of dialogue, but because of the way Marcus Gilbert delivers it is Merlin against all hope. I think that's a fantastic mm, yeah. chills-down-the-spine moment. Mm. And yet, yeah, you've got some piss-poor special effects.
2: I think the, the direction, for me, is let down. And actually, yeah. the, and actually, the Brigadier. I didn't mind Bambera so much, but actually, I think... I think, as a final Brigadier story, I think Cyber Brigadier was better than Brigadier in a garden centre.
0: He spends... <laughs> or in a in a country yeah. house. He spends and... two episodes in a helicopter. Yeah,
2: they needed to kill him off, I think. I think not killing him off and closing with, with yeah. him in that final scene, I think that's more, not disrespectful to the character, but... But going against the character... It's less... Then, mm, it's not heroic.
0: disrespectful, but it's less iconic a way yeah. to leave the character. Because if you're going to bring him back... And I think they made the same mistake in Mordrin Undead, but I don't think it's so noticeable because they gave him so much more to do in Mordrin Undead. Yeah. But in order to bring the character back, you've got to give him a real reason to be there. Yeah. I think... In Undead, the treatment to the Brigadier was
2: much because as you said, they give him they gave him more to do, but they yeah. gave the actor more to do. I really yeah, yeah, liked yeah. the nervous breakdown idea in Maldon. It was a bit unlikely, but
0: I thought the story in Mordor and Undead was absolutely atrocious. But yeah, the treatment yeah. of the brigadier was yeah. fine. Yeah. Whereas here it's the of yeah. Here they seem to bring him back because he's the brigadier. And I
2: love I love the the central ideas of the story, so the doctor being Merlin, I love the ideas of knights coming back. From the future, there's a sort of a Robin of Sherwood feel to it. Yeah. There's a kind of a what's the what's the series that Patrick Troughton did just before he he died, Knights of God. Yeah. So there's a feeling yeah. of that. So there's a sort of a post-apocalyptic knights with guns feel to it, which mm-hmm. is good. But I just think it was a series of set pieces that looked really good, but it just didn't it just didn't tie together the the well, sort of trajectory of the story the the way that. I, no, I don't know. Is it, is it right that it was a 3 three? Well, I was just about to bring to this
0: four? up. It was originally written as a three-part story, okay. and it was expanded to four. Okay. Or rather, it was plotted out. I don't think right. he actually wrote three scripts, yeah. and then they said, give us a fourth one, and he shoved yeah. something in. Yeah. But it was plotted out as a three-part story, and they asked him to expand it to four. Now, there's two issues here. One is the ghost-like thing. Yeah. There are a lot of people who say, oh, Battlefield should have stayed as a 3 and Ghostlight should have been a 4. We'll talk about Ghostlight in a minute, but I don't think there's nearly enough material in Ghostlight. No, no, no. Perfect. no. three. Yeah, I think the issue with Ghostlight is something entirely yeah. different. But I think there is enough material in Battlefield for a four-part story, easily enough material. But I think the way it's expanded out yeah. doesn't... Um, doesn't uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It's a lot of fun
1: to be had with the situation, isn't there? And-
0: it's, yeah which it's
2: been. a lot of fun but it's not it's not a traditionally structured story and I think Aronovich that's I think acknowledges this because I listened to the commentary with Aronovich on the DVD ages ago and he he's really disappointed he was really disappointed but I mean the the commentary was pretty much Andrew Cartnell trying to make Ben Aronovich feel better about the story and I don't think Ben Aronovich was was saying you know I can't write. Ben Aronovich was saying on this occasion, I've made a mess of it. He made a mess of it, mm. and I think that's that's probably it's that's true. Probably fair enough.
0: I think, but I love this. Yeah. In spite of all its problems, <laughs> and that is its biggest problem. In a nutshell, is that yeah. when they went from three episodes to four episodes, the wrong bits got expanded. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really imbalanced Hmm. and it gives you the impression that there's that the story's not following itself. The Brigadier doesn't turn up at the end of episode two in a four-part story. He doesn't spend two episodes in a helicopter in a four-part story.
3: Mm. He turns up at the end of
0: episode one in a three-part story. In a four-part story, he still turns up at the end of episode one. Although at least it's not as bad as Revelation of the Daleks, where the Doctor doesn't turn up until the end
2: of effectively a two-part. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's crazy. But I think that the the, the issues with the, the structure in here isn't enough. To just as with survival the the issues with the the added elements weren't enough to kind of Spoiler, diminish it for me, yeah. with here it doesn't nothing well, it's quite not the efficient. other way around yeah, I mean, the yeah. destroyer is fantastic the destroyer mm-hmm. is a genuinely
1: I remember strong... picking out two things I think I was so preoccupied thinking please let this be good, please let me, this be good because I want, everyone, I want everyone I want to come into college the next day and everyone to go wow I saw Doctor Who last night and it was it's it's brilliant. It's got really good and all that sort mm. of thing. Instead, it was me and a friend with only 2 who'd watched it. Oh. And the only two things I could get from it that I felt happy about were The Destroyer and there's quite a big speech, isn't there, by Sylvester McCoy at the end. Mm. There's the
0: also destroy- a bit where he really, really does that, this that's this shouting acting. Yeah.
2: There's a the bit where he's holding the scabbard and mm. it starts to tremble. And that's that's the bit that a friend, my, my friend and I, if we're doing <laughs> Sylvester McCoy impressions, which we do occasionally alone, that's the bit we imitate. That kind of, yeah, side yeah, of yeah. journey. Do it for us then, now. No, it won't. It wouldn't come. It wouldn't work podcasts.
0: on it. I think There bit, some really great things, like, and I mean, the bit where they go down through the tunnels to the spaceship. Mm, it's yeah, all very yeah. terror of the Zygons. Yeah, yeah. It feels like all traditional stuff, mm. but instead of having, but in a story, you've got to have. You know, a writer needs to write a story so that each scene kind of moves it on in some way and each episode pushes the story on. Mm. And in Battlefield, you've got scenes happening that aren't pushing things on and you've got episodes happening that aren't pushing things on. So it doesn't quite work. But I think, you know, the opposite of Matt, if you like the elements enough, Mm. you can kind of live with the fact it that he yeah. made a bit of a hash of I it, I think for me I'd probably like it better if it wasn't
2: the first story of the season. But if, say, Curse of Fenric was, if C- Curse of Fenric was the season opener, and then Battlefield came maybe third or second, that would that would make it better for me. I yeah. think as an opener, it didn't have the same impact as well, actually... the, of the Daleks did.
0: You look at it, there isn't really a story in season twenty six that should have gone first.
2: I think Curse of Fenric almost has that kind of
0: 'cause it's It's more it's, but it starts too slowly, I think. Mean. Yeah,
2: but it's still traditional horror, so it creeps I mean if it had been moved to the beginning and maybe they'd adjusted the opening to make it a bit yeah, more maybe. explosive. I think the elements were there. If you think about, you know, all the knights running around and
1: uh you know Gene Marsh's part and the Merlin thing and all that, the spectacle wise It kind of was the right one for the start of the series. Mm. Yeah, but just just, they've
0: made a hash of it, Mm. both in terms of putting the story into four parts and a production. I tell you what, though, take the basic script from Battlefield and give it a bit of a once-over. Buff-up. And get Russell T. Davis or Stephen Moffat's version of Doctor Who to do it, and it would be astonishing. Mm. Well, somebody said it was one draft away from... From yeah, being yeah. Successful. Yeah, Jeff. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I think and... it's a couple of drafts away from being successful. Yeah, but, but it's but, the same. It's but those, the same concept. But, yeah, those elements. Yeah, it would be good. I'm not a big fan of Jean Marsh, actually.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. I think yeah, she's yeah, amazing she's, in this.
2: She's got good bits. <laughs> she's got good moments. Oh, he's back to his cat. No, I'm not. She she's got good good moments, but I don't know. There are just some some things. I think it's that that conclusion, the the big climax. The conversation between her and McCoy, and it might be McCoy rather than her, that just doesn't. I don't. I'm not convinced by it. I think it's probably McCoy. I don't know. So the, where the he's the... Where he's describing the effects of nuclear nuclear.
0: Well, war I was
1: going to just bring, bring that, that up. 1980s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, at the time.
2: I like that.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, what do I but know? then you look you at know? Know? things like the Hand of Fear in the Claws of Axos and see what Bob Baker and Dave Martin were doing with nuclear physics. and yes. it's yeah. Doctor Who. That. Uh, it doesn't come up in the in the comments, but I think for some people the whole nuclear thing is an element too far. Mm. But actually, to me, that seems like the right balance for the Arthurian bit. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's a it's a parallel of Excalibur and the Lake. Exactly. Dis- so the
0: other thing,
1: probably did it a service I think I just recently read Camelot three thousand, which is a great comic series, graphic novel, okay. which is all about the return of yeah Arthur and all that sort of thing
2: isn't there also captain britain where this is tied
1: up uh as, that's the other well? thing we're, we're probably rubbing up the wrong way with merlin as well because merlin's heavily involved in that so right. I, okay. I had merlin very yeah.
2: much fixed in my head of who read, he was i haven't read much captain britain but i've read enough to know in fact i've read paul Cornell's mm. reworking of it mm. and obviously paul Cornell loves this story because he wrote shadows a, of Avalon, so, yeah mm. effectively mm. a sequel.
0: And also, even, isn't it? I don't know. I can't, I can't remember. remember
2: reading it. But also, this has, this has sort of echoed into the new series. Every time he regenerates, now they're talking, or at least the, the novelization has echoed into the new series. Every time he regenerates, now they talk about he asks whether he's ginger or not, and that comes straight from the novelization oh, it... of Battlefield because that's that's the that's the version of Merlin. That oh, Doctor yeah. becomes it actually talks about him having red hair.
0: Oh, we can uh, put to bed a. Uh... It just reminded me on a on a podcast about three years ago. Oh, okay. I teased that I was going to say which was the only Target novel I'd never read.
2: Oh, okay. And I
0: don't think I ever did. So, if anybody remembers that episode from about three years ago, well, finally I'm going to answer it. But it's Battlefield.
2: Oh, Oh. you should read it. But no, few I've got actually. The the reason
0: why Mm. is because when the Target books were coming out, Mm. I was buying them all as they were coming out, Mm. and the The series was kind of tailing off, and Battlefield yeah. didn't come out till much later because it got delayed. I mean, this this is because Mark Platt wrote it instead of did This he? is this is relevant, yeah. Benaronovich does. So I quite didn't. Long. So just to finish off, I didn't so. pick it up at the time.
2: I didn't pick it up till years later. But the Target novel is, is relevant to this to what I was saying about dislocating this series from other other things like the new adventures and the new adventures. Um, for me, and what, I'm sitting here and I realise that actually that's, this is what I'm doing unconsciously because I, the target novelisations for this series are so good and so rich. This is the, this is the point where they start practising for the new adventures mm. because they start expanding on the story. So the, yeah, yeah, the Curse yeah. of Fenric novelisation is so good. It's and so, remembrance. It's so expanded. Remembrance from the previous season. Ghostlight as well is really rich. And Battlefield the novelisation is much, yeah. much better than than the actual story itself for me, because they expand on it and they have mm. they have cut scenes set somewhere else. And this was the point where they were allowed to move away from the scripts. I think before that they were quite. I
1: think this is a perfect opportunity. It. It's a We'll talk this. more about the
2: target
0: books in a few episodes. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but it's
2: relevant to to here because yeah, yeah, I know it's actually colouring the way. I, I it's think it's colouring the way you're talking about. It. It. It's yeah, odd. I it's
0: odd,
1: really, it goes that goes this right. is the one time that it touched on Arthurian Le- legend. The series, considering it's such a British, It mm. is the British legend, isn't it? Let me just think. in essence.
3: Yeah.
0: Yes, and what it is is, it is, and this is the brilliance of it, is it's taking something that's kind of a myth out of sort of British history mm. and it is rolling it together with something that's uh, in the same way mythical but rolling into the future. Mm. People are always saying, oh, Doctor Who is up there now with the story of King Arthur and Sherlock Holmes and that, in that he's become a sort of mythical British hero mm. and here you are you've got the one, the first mythical British hero and the latest British mythical hero I
2: think what uh, what they well they kind of mean by that he's become a mythology in the sense that he doesn't need a television series to support the stories yes but no so, I mean so and that's the same as, as Sherlock Holmes as mythology yeah, yeah, yeah. Arthur's a bit a bit different he's both that but also but what I mean is he's emerged with history <clears throat> to become a myth
0: Mm. But but, but uh, what they're saying is that they're all characters who you can tell a variety of different kinds of stories in different manners yeah. around. The character transcends the medium or the myth from which they emerged yeah, to become totally. a myth in their own right as a character yeah. rather than just as a part of the story.
2: I also wonder how much um, Robin of Sherwood actually paved the way for for this as well because you're right they haven't done Arthur before and Arthur and Robin Hood mm. are similar similar mm. myths in terms of oh. the national national mythic heritage mm. and I think Robin of Sherwood was the first one that did this kind of mystical retelling of this of the myth. Mm. And this is exactly what's happening here, except as a sci-fi mystical retelling. Of the myth mm.
1: Well, what lends it to is this idea of um, Arthur being reborn, isn't it, and coming mm. and coming back in that in that way. As yeah. I say, if you read Camelot Three Thousand, it's fantastic.
0: Well, I think it and goes uh,
1: in
2: a... John Borman's Excalibur as well. Yeah, there's also a, a, a foundation piece for this. Mm. So, you, it's but I think this goes though.
0: in an opposite yeah. direction from them. Well, I mean, it, in some ways, it obviously goes in an opposite direction from them because it sci is it. Yeah, and well, Camelot Three Thousand yeah. does. I, yeah. No, no, yeah. I mean from oh, Robin sorry. of Rob- Sherwood oh, Robin, and yeah. Excalibur. Yeah. I,
2: I still yeah. want to call it of Sherwood. Robin of Sherwood. Um, but it's it's doing the same thing in the sense that it's twisting it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. No, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, 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 but yeah. Obviously. But
0: that's one of the times when if you look at... this is If you look at what somebody else is doing really successfully and you just try and replicate that, you're always going to fail. Yeah. But if you look at what somebody's doing successfully and you say, okay... They've twisted it in a certain way. Let's try and twist it somewhere else. Yeah, That's probably the best way to approach yeah, yeah. taking your ideas yeah. from somebody else's work. Yeah. You know, like we've always said about the sort of hammer pastiches of Hinchcliffe and Holmes. Mm. They are hammer pastiches, but they're hammer pastiches that they manage to fold seamlessly into the Doctor Who canon. Mm. Where instead of just doing them straight and the Doctor happens to turn up in them. Yeah. Shall we talk about the story that came second then? Okay. Right, I don't think it's going to be any surprise which stories come in second and which is first because no. I think these two are head and shoulders the best two productions of the series. And so you, I think... Yeah. And so I'd, I
2: th- I'd put Ghost i sorry. I'd put one on top of the other, which, <laughs> which is what
0: other people haven't. No, I did as well, and I yeah. think Simon did. I think we all vote. Okay, Actually, I, think, I can't
2: remember how I voted, but I think...
0: I believe all three of us voted like first and Curse of Fenric right. second. Yeah. And I think Lee did as well. Yeah. And also Mark and Andy were in a private voting and I think mm. they both put Ghostlight yeah. first yeah. and Curse of Fenric second. But it's no surprise to find that in the final result, once you get the sort of wider yeah. voting in, Curse of Fenric comes top because it's the one that's more obviously the good story. Yes. It's crowdfunding. Ghostlight Ghostlight's a bit yeah. esoteric. Mm-hmm. And I think well, I'll read the comments out, but I think that with Ghostlight, let's treat, let's deal with the issue first, because the issue is obviously what keeps it from being at the top. Here we go then. Jeff Waddell says the most sapphire and steel that classic who ever got, and as such, is nearly brilliant. Phil Markham says Ghostlight is the worst ever classic story. It was so bad, I've only ever watched it once on transmission. The story made no sense. The acting was so so poor, no wonder, Ooh. after recording this story, they turned off the studio lights and kept them off for 16 years. With so. three exclamation marks. <laughs> so, I asked Phil to go yeah. back and watch it again. Yeah. yeah. Before we recorded this and yeah. let me yeah, know that what was, he thought. That was the key okay. thing in his comment. He only watched it once. <laughs> That's yeah, gone. So, marks? so a couple of weeks later, he came back and said, So, I watched Ghostlight for the first time in 17 years and was prepared to give it a go and watch it over three days. So, he wasn't watching all in one go, he no, watched over okay, three no. consecutive yeah. nights. And he says, Bloody hell, it's really dull. It didn't keep my attention. McCoy tried his best. Aldred overacted. The rest of the cast didn't seem to know or care what was going on. It was sadly a real chore to finish it without starting to look at my phone. Was waiting to see McCoy have nails in his mouth for nailing the coffin. Three exclamation marks. (laughs)
1: Okay, well...
0: I can understand that. We'll come back to it when we get into talking about the story because I can understand that reaction. Mark Clapham says, the smartest story since Marco Polo. Probably the densest Doctor Who story ever. And he says, I nicked that opinion off Kate Orman, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Bryant says, I appreciate this more now than I did originally, but there is still no need to make Doctor Who this confusing. Please find the time somewhere in one of the episodes to actually explain the plot. Also, make sure you know how to achieve the effect of being made out of light. Never boring, at least.
3: Uh, yeah.
2: Ah. <laughs> Rob
0: Irwin said, we'll get into all this, yeah. Matt. We'll talk about all this well, in a Matt's minute. Still got
2: okay. some knuckles. It's, it's going to be four hours, this one, I can tell.
0: Rob Irwin says, it would be number one in the season if it wasn't for the fact it's a wee bit garbled and could have done with being a four-parter. It's become trendy to say you understand it and always understood it. No, that's not. However... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I'm not going to get through these comments, am I? Well. Yeah. He says, however, I can't remember a single person I knew fully understanding it the first time it went out.
3: Okay.
0: Steve Hur says, Victorian Doctor Who in a haunted house. Oh, I wanted to love this so much, but I did not understand a bloody word of it. Lots of separate scenes that were better than the sum of its hull. Dylan Reese says, very, very strong stuff. Mark Platt remains one of the best writers the classic series produced. The maids in the walls, the husks in the cellar, the people in the attic, the ancient evil from the dawn of time. This is more Hinchcliffe than Hinchcliffe ever got. Mm. It's just a shame they cut the explanation. Mm. Brendan Day says, If I'm honest, it's a story that confused me on transmission, and even with subsequent DVD viewings and plot explanations, it still leaves me cold. I'm glad the programme was confident enough to experiment like this, but I can't help but feel that this would have the casual viewer switching channels. I know that in parts of fandom this story is held up as a beacon of what the show could have become, but I for one don't get the love for it. David Kitchen says, I rewatched this story this year for the first time in at least 15 years. Part one was full of delightful weirdness and interesting ideas, but it falls apart completely in parts two and three.
2: How did this story come second with these these (laughs) comments? Doesn't work for
0: me at all, says David.
2: I
1: think
0: yeah, And finally John Rivers says and once we've got this comment yeah, out of yeah, the yeah, way yeah. we yeah. can dig yeah, in. Yeah. Finally John Rivers says everything is a reference. Again the atmosphere is pitched right. The haunted house idea is well realised and the monsters are enough to keep it going for most viewers. Once absorbed a few more times via VHS or DVD as it is now it reveals its layers. Complex but rewarding.
1: Yeah. Okay, it's there because it deserves to be there. I yeah. really do. As to whether it works or not, that's another question.
2: But I think right. it deserves to and be there. I think I think it's it's right that you don't get everything on the first viewing. I certainly didn't because I was only however old I was. Hmm. But you get a hell of a lot on the first viewing because it's so richly visual. It's, yeah, there's so many good set pieces, and the fact that there's then some there's then something you can get on the second viewing that's slightly deeper then there's something you can get on the third viewing that's slightly deeper. It's a story made for being rewatched. And that's what all the great... Which, kind of, a, which great... is a
1: bit of a bugger when you consider that it was at a time when...
2: And well, then no, the no. VHS were videos were starting to come Facebook, out, and come I videoed it off the television. So
0: people yeah, but were this is a yeah, them. this is a fan thing. If you're a fan of the you can video if, and rewatch it. But if you're just, if you're just a one
2: time viewer, you're still getting a creepy story. I don't with made to with
0: great actors. Yeah. I think the performances yeah, yeah, yeah. in this It's a really good chamber piece. I think this and Happiness Patrol stand out as the two... This Happiness Patrol, and actually, if you go back far enough, Kinder and Snake Dance mm-hmm. are the best-acted stories. Don't get me wrong. I him. watched
1: this last night, and I've got a you completely new... No, no. <laughs> and, and i got a completely new uh, view of how dense and how meaty it is yeah. in a lot of ways. But... Um, but I don't think there's enough there for the casual viewer at all well, to to find it. Well, I, I, mean, I you, don't think it's entertaining for, unless you literally kind of get a microscope out and look at it.
2: For me, the, the proof that there is, I think, enough there is I was I was 12. So I was too young to catch all the references to Douglas Adams mm. and Alice in Wonderland <clears> and um, Pygmalion and I was too young to catch all the references to the science and to follow the plot but I was completely I was terrified by it and mm-hmm. I was really absorbed by it mm. and actually if it's absorbing a 13 year old boy yeah. and it's going to terrify an 8 year old as well, well I hope it's, it's not absorbing a
0: 12 year old boy keeping my <laughs> attention <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
2: then actually that's the that's the key audience that you want to grab for, for Doctor Who actually being 18 and watching it mm. maybe maybe you're actually at that you're too young to kind of to fully kind appreciate fully what's appreciate going it, on, but too old to to. I've got nothing against. It.
1: In fact, I adore ambiguity. Yeah. Or or the fact that things aren't explained. So you know, in that respect, yeah, I think I think it's a strength yeah. in that respect. Well, I was 21
0: when this was on, and I absolutely loved it. But I'm not going to claim I understood it. No. Um, but okay, two things before we get really deeply into it. And okay. um, one of those things is. Uh, Somebody asked me, and this wasn't in the comments, so it's not there in the comments. But somebody said to me, I think entirely irrespective of the fact that we're about to do season 26, I think just completely out of the blue, somebody asked me what's going on in Ghostlight. And I said, We've got season 26 coming up, and I'll rewatch it before then, and we'll say on the podcast what the plot is. Because okay. this person was essentially asking, What is the plot in Ghostlight? Mm. And so I watched it. And actually, funnily enough, we brought this up. Matt and I brought this up. Was it, or was it all three of us brought it up the other week? What is the plot of Ghostlight? And essentially, the plot of Ghostlight is as simple as this. You know, Light... It's like the demons, where Light is this creature who's been on Earth for all this time. But what's happened is he has an experiment going, like in the demons. But unlike in the demons, they're actually... Presenting it here as an actual scientific experiment. Mm. So you've got the two um, triggers, you've got control, which is supposed to not absorb what's going on around it, and you've got Josiah,, yeah. who is you supposed to go and absorb Sur- survey. Mm. Yes, yeah. yeah. who's supposed to, yeah go and absorb what's happening. But what happened? But the plot of it is really actually nothing to do with the experiment. No. The experiment is the texture. The plot is, Light is there. He's um, above everything. He's not involved he, he's in He's arrived on this planet to catalogue yeah. all yeah. the different species. No, but um, but again, that's texture. The yeah. plot is that Light is an alien being living on Earth who is not um, interacting with Earth. Mm. And he has a survey and control who aren't supposed to be interacting with Earth in such a way as they affect what's going on on Earth, but they've both gone rogue. Yeah. And so it's a simple plot about two aliens, Control yeah. and Survey, who've gone rogue, who need to be yeah. brought back to book.
2: And what makes the story so great is the stuff that happens around it. and The, the characters texture. that interact yeah. with the different aliens and the chari- and just insane insanely good. I mean, Nimrod, the idea of Nimrod being... Being like a, a museum exhibit brought back to life, mm. or Mackenzie coming in, or the Pritchard, mm. or um, <clears throat> or the the, well, the priest the, being the devolved, priest. yeah, yeah, uh, just yeah. just for, as a plaything. And I think I think all of these add to the story. Mm. They're they're not just texture. They're actually they're actually contributing different aspects. And I oh think yeah, but a,
0: what I mean is I think the story is basically yeah that is the uh, story.
2: Ancient ancient alien scientist brought back to life decides his experiments. Yeah, fails, that's where it goes. Threatens mm-hmm. to end the experiment, and it turns out the experiment is evolution.
0: Yeah. And basically, that's more it's or less demon. where the demons yeah, end up. Yeah. yeah,
2: except it's slightly more sophisticated than the demons. Mm. But also, also this is a story in which, in which... For once in Doctor Who, the setting, so the house. See,
0: that's gone way on again. I was gonna no, bring no, up my no, second point and no, I'm developing, I'm developing
2: the, the, the point because it's not just the characters that the texture around the plot. It's a it's a it's an entirely cohesive cohesive story. It's like a three hundred and sixty degree story.
0: Yeah, but my second issue is something that, that could have come out of. Right, okay. In that the issue with Ghost Light and rewatching it last week. I realised exactly what the issue with it is. And yeah, all that stuff is fine. And that's where I was hoping to take the conversation after. But the issue with it is, and the best way to illustrate this is to say that I know plenty of perfectly intelligent people who don't understand a word of Shakespeare. Mm. And that's because the language is different. And in Ghostlight, it's not that the language is different, but it's that, in every scene with every line of dialogue, Mark Platt has presented himself with a choice between the character saying what the character is trying to get across or the character saying something that represents what the character is trying to get across. Mm. In other words, in every instance, he's either he's been given a choice of the prosaic or the poetic. And in every instance, he's chosen the poetic so you never get any of the characters talking prosaically and therefore you either have to entirely turn your mode uh, your brain to poetic mm, mm. mode symbolic mode or else you're just not going to follow the plot because the plot never turns up in the dialogue
2: but mm. I, I think in this instance that doesn't matter because because everything else Outside of a dialogue, contribution oh, yeah. doesn't matter so the instance,
0: for you, no. but does for other people. Yeah, and well, that's the issue with this. Even and the that's doctor never second. actually says anything. No, I think that, that's I what I mean. mean.
2: Well, I think there are there are sort of fragments of dialogue. No, I, I just get a feeling yeah, he kind of plays along with the situation mm. that each kind of. I mean that, but in the conclusion, he pretty much outlines mm. what's going on mm. because the demise of light in the end the explanation is to the demise of Light in the end comes from what Light was doing there in the first place. Mm. So he kind of explains it. I mean, it's not... I don't think it's garbled. I think it's just... It's certain, too late. Certain lines are thrown away. But this happens... This is a very new series thing. This is what Stephen Moffat does. So a lot of his plot points are spoken
0: very quickly by Capoldo. But... But they're all there. Stephen Moffat does spell out what's going on. But what happens with Stephen Moffat is he spells out what's going on in the text and leaves you to work out the subtext for yourself. In Ghostlight, they're not spelling out the text. They're leaving you to work out the text for yourself. And so if you're prepared to run with it and work out the text for yourself and rewatch it and enjoy the elements that you do like then it was going to work absolutely brilliantly for you mm. but if you don't like those elements necessarily you're not going to engage with the dialogue enough to read it because mm. you need to read every line in this was
2: there criticism about the appearance of light as well at some point yeah, um, yeah the angel yeah, yeah. but, but i mean that's perfect i mean that's i mean that's that's drawing on that's that's just <clears> continuing <throat> to draw on because that's a blake thing no, I think so, the criticism
0: is that it's a poor special effect.
2: Which special effect? I mean, well, when
0: he appears as light. Mm. It's, oh, a, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's basically the same criticism as you get in the Time Monster when the Chronovore turns up. So I'm
2: trying to think what special effect that would be. So he comes up through the lift, and there's actually quite an eerie shot of the light blazing out of the lift. Yeah, that no, works. I think that's and fine. And then the appearance of light yeah. is, is more mundane yeah, but, but, yeah. but that's the thing that draws on Blake, William Blake. So actually, that's just another literary sort of cultural illusion. Yeah, but and what? for me that works. I mean, you've got to have you've got to have a performer playing the villain because no, yeah. but that's all,
1: Yeah, but that isn't at the point. That's it's why he hero. kind of self-destructs at the end, isn't it? Because it's the Doctor points out that he's evolved. He's yeah,
2: yeah, he's changed he's, his appearance slowly, to make himself. A, yeah, yeah,
3: hmm.
2: yeah, yeah. He's adopted a form that. It's explained is uh, outside. I, of... think that, I think there's lots of dialogue where it does explain it. I think it's just not it expla- not explained in a neat block. No, that you can take away. And uh, but I think that's I what don't goes... think
0: it's not that it's not explained in a neat block. I think it's that none of the explanations come until the third episode. But I think it would be a mistake to do what Christopher Bryan because says, it doesn't present it as a mystery, and it's easy
1: for that a lot of that subtext to mix with the texture. There's little things like the fact that Ace meets up with the daughter and says, mm. "Come on, go in here." Oh, what we're going to wear? Oh, let's go out dressed as blokes. Yeah, and and that's there, and that's just there as a little bit of texture. But because you're trying to work everything else out, you think, "Oh, does that mean something?"
2: But it does mean something because they're evolving. It's all about evolution. Mm, so they're actually but, pushing the Victorian, mm. the Victorian kind of. Staidness. Stayed, right. yeah, yeah, So yeah. by dressing, and there's a line of dialogue that addresses that. But it because gives the doctor you, says you. have of that says you. That's addressed from the a, off. A, as soon as a it, Victorian gentleman or As Soon as they it,
0: arrive, showing her shoulders. That's addressed yeah. anyway, that was yeah. that It presents it as a mystery that needs to be solved. Mm-hmm. But whereas if you are watching, say Inspector Morse, the clues in that mystery would be what this person has done, and. Uh, what that person has done and how you connect those things together to bring those people together so that the solution to the murder is something to do with two people that you didn't think had anything to do with each other. Do you know what I mean? It's The connections in a mystery need to be made in such a way that the person sitting at home can make those connections as well. But in Ghostlight, the clues aren't connections between people in that respect. The clues are all metaphors. But I think that's so, That's fine because Ghostlight isn't... isn't yeah, that's fine it,
2: for you, Matt. No, no, I think it's fine because Ghostlight isn't supposed to be a mystery, it's supposed to be a ghost story. and it's supposed no, but to it's be, presented as a mystery. It's presented as a ghost story. Well, no, ghost, it has the trappings stories, of I a ghost story, it but it's asking you it to start, work it out. I think it's starting out as a ghost story, and then anything else that develops from there is the sort of the Doctor Whoing of a ghost story. Right, and but a ghost goes, story ghost is and a and mystery, a ghost story. Not like Inspector I think it's... It's no, not it's, the same. It's I not think it's the more same. Agatha
0: Christie. No, right, but okay. Whether it's a ghost story, an Inspector <laughs> Morse, or an Agatha Christie, no, no,
2: no, no I'm, I'm, but it's interesting if you think
0: of it as a ghost. Story but you're because, missing my point because
2: they have particular. They have very particular sets
0: of logic. Yeah, ghost A ghost light doesn't have the particular sets of logic of any no, other kind drop, of story. It doesn't drop yeah, clues. Yeah,
2: James, MR James's ghost stories. That's where that's the sort But they don't of, present the type. It's to, it's drawing. But they don't on, present. It's not drawing on Conan Doyle. It's drawing but in on Mr. Mr. James.
0: James. They don't present all the clues as metaphors. They don't present any clues in Mr. James. Right, but well, ghostlight present
2: an atmosphere and then they slowly explain it and then they leave you hanging at the end.
0: Well, ghostlight doesn't slowly explain it. It no. just explains it at the end. It, it kind of just behaves how it's going to behave.
2: I, it, I, I think. Well, I think it does slowly explain it, but it doesn't. It doesn't present the explanation, but it explains it through the the incidents. You don't
0: find out who Josiah is until Control turns up, and Control doesn't turn up until the third episode. You don't
2: find it out ultimately, but you're presented with clues as to who he is through the fact that he sheds his skin earlier on in the story. But that doesn't...
0: And there's certain bits of dialogue. But unless you know that it's an experiment then those aren't clues as to what he's doing. No, but the experiment is... The re- the revelation of the experiment is the conclusion of the story. Yeah, but the revelation of the experiment turns <laughs> up at the same time as the revelation of control and the revelation as to what Survey's been doing. Well, that, All is, the revolutions... the, that is the experiment. Yeah, but that's it. All the... Re- <laughs> but that's it. None of the clues get you there unless you already know. In a ghost story, you know it's a ghost story. So you're looking... For the ghost story to explain how and why the ghost is there. In a murder mystery, you know it's a murder. So you're looking for the clues to explain how and why the murder's happened and who's responsible. Right. In Ghost Light... It's a Doctor Who story, so you're looking for the alien. Yes, and you know that Josiah is the alien. Well, but is... there's no explanation. You You're looking for the alien... But there's no explanation as to how and why the aliens on planet Earth until you get to the third episode and meet control and light.
1: Do you know what it's like? And I think it's really interesting that you you touch on the murder mystery thing, because I do think it's like a like, Agatha Christie because you've got the house and you've got these characters like the policeman and, and this yeah, other person, yeah, this person yeah. all playing these roles. But as JR is saying, that, that in that Agatha Christie, then they, things will happen. There will be occurrences that happen, which then drop little clues that you can then pick up in order to work out by the end what the answer is. The difference with this is almost like being dropped into the middle of a room where everyone's behaving how they're going to behave. Without actually talking to you, and you've just got to watch their behaviour and mm, work out from brilliant. that what the hell's going.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes, no, I, I don't like disagree that. with you, Matt. You're
2: right. You're right in the sense that it's also got sort of cipher characters like the policeman and mm. and the vicar, and that's a very that is a very active, and Matt, interesting thing. I, yeah, I don't
0: disagree thing. with you, No. and I voted this first. This yeah. is my favourite yeah. story of the season. Yeah. But I'm saying that only works for like maybe 10% of the audience, and the other 90% are adrift. Okay. Yeah, it's well, almost all, like you've got to know what game but you're all playing I, in all I stretch.
2: can do here is say why I find it interesting. Yeah. And but, that's, uh, this is why I find it interesting, and why it holds well, yeah, together for me. Mm, for so, you. So, and I think well, that's the... Yes, but but not everything is a kind of a subjective, objective argument. Well, that's what I'm trying I to mean, make here. I mean, I'm trying to make the argument. The The, the, comment, <laughs> the people commenting are saying they... They didn't understand it and it wasn't explained fully in the story sufficiently. So I'm arguing against that. I'm not arguing that they should like it or that they should like that type of story. I'm arguing that it was explained fully in the story. It was just explained in different ways. I'm arguing against Christopher Bryant saying that there should have been a block of explanation. That's what I get from what Christopher Bryant said. There should have been a block of explanation somewhere. I think that would have made it clumsy and it would have diminished the story. And not just for me. I think mm. it would have diminished the story because I think the but, story is but, built on this tenet of obscurity but and you've,
0: ambiguity. You've said it there. You've said it was explained in different ways. Yeah. Well, this is, and you've made through, the point yourself. Through, through metaphor four inc- mm. But you, and you made the, the point characters. yourself a few minutes ago. It's a Doctor Who story. Yeah. So it has to work as a Doctor Who just story. That interesting. It's and interesting. Can... Somebody's pointed out that you know the,
1: the, how similar to Sapphire and Steel it is. Were well, those Sapphire mm. and Steel stories? Explained.
0: No, no, the, no, that's why it's like. So a there you go. Yeah, and they they, they worked. I mean, they were slightly
2: more linear, I think, mm. um, because they they tend to be relatively the same, and they t- they tend to be more dialogue-heavy. Sapphires. I mean, even so they, some X Files lots. episodes were very portentous. Even some X X Files episodes were never explained at the end, but, as far
0: as I'm aware. But there's a difference so, yeah. between leaving something open open-ended. Mm. <laughs> which is not what ghost Ghostlight's doing I don't
1: think that's open ended in the least No, it's, it's No ghost Light's not There are, there are functions
0: open-ended. going on It ends on.
2: up with the, the explosion of the spaceship at the end the yeah. story that, I mean like
0: <laughs> like like the demons in fact mm. Mm. But ghost light is not behaving like a Doctor Who story No and that's but, great but, Yeah yeah but but by the same token if but by the same token, that's also problematic. It is, oh, yeah. Because Doctor Who needs to behave like Doctor Who. It needs <laughs> to be. It needs to be consistent in one thing, and that's it needs to have a, a certain level of, and for want of a better word, explanation. So that when you watch the first episode of a series, and when you watch the last episode of the series, you have a through line through all those episodes where you're engaging with them at a particular level. It's a heck of a lot to ask for an audience. I'm not saying it's a problem. I
1: think
2: it's amazing. But it's a heck of a
0: lot to ask of an
1: audience. There
2: are precedents, though, in in the classic series of this sort of storytelling something like Warrior's Gate oh yeah doesn't do this and actually I know that you don't like one I know it's not your favourite but something like Edge of Destruction doesn't do this this sort of thing yeah
0: but that's accidental yeah
2: but that's still it's still a a similarly sort of slightly ambiguous story I've got no I personally have no problem with ambiguity and also it not doing what you would expect of a Doctor Who story because it's pretending to be a Doctor Who story or it's Is making you—you've got an expectation of a Doctor Who story, and one one way of making that interesting is by subverting it. I mean, in a way, the demons isn't a traditional; doesn't do what a Doctor Who
0: story should do. But it It does engage with you on that TARDIS. But it engages with you on that level of explanation. Yeah. Well, yeah. Warrior's Gate is probably the only example of another story that doesn't and equally I think Warrior's Gate is the best story in its season just as I think this one is Kinder is a similar one as well but I think Kinder gets away with it by having two layers of plot Mm. where the where the plot on one side of the story is being explained so you can engage with it on that level. Warrior's Gate and Ghostlight are the only two stories where unless you're following the metaphors nothing is explained mm. yeah mm. but for me that was best for me everything
2: that people criticized in their comments are the reason why it's so good it, it's so good and i rewatched it i watched it obviously when it was on i rewatched it a number of years ago and i had a completely different opposite experience to phil markham i was completely engrossed in the story i watched it as a three episodes Three-episode block, and it was like all the best sort of BBC mm. claustrophobic chamber drama ghost stories that they produced. It's like the, it's almost like that that
0: the house, the set, yeah. it's like this kind of Somebody labyrinth. Somebody said about hmm, the performances as well. I them. thought it was really the solid, fantastic. They're so rich and textured, yeah, and just, and also they're in the performances, and even McCoy starts to show hints of this which is quite surprising but there's an archness in the performances. And, you know, I, I always say this. You, everybody needs to perform like they're in the same production. Mm. And it's when people are performing like they're in different productions that there's a fault. There's an archness in all of the performances yeah. that's perfectly in keeping. but yes. And also that helps to unsettle you because mm. everything else about it looks so traditional mm. that if you throw in the archness in the performances, yeah. it just sets you slightly away from the traditionality. And I know I like it because I can think back and I haven't seen it for
2: ages but fragments of those performances I can see them like Ian Hogg's yeah, performance yeah, yeah. is amazing oh, and Michael yeah. Cochran's performance is amazing yes. and the guy that plays Nimrod Carl Fockety, yeah,
0: he's, fan- he he's fantastic but he doesn't straight. have a major role but no. he plays it really well mm. none of them really have major roles no
2: they're all they're all really good and I like light as well I like that that voice do you like control? sorry about silly boys. no I like control yeah I mean it's eccentric but see it when I helped...
0: first saw her I thought she was the best thing in it mm. So, oh, she's yeah. a brilliant. Actress. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, like, yeah. great. I really. I think the way it.
2: the way she ends up proves that she is a brilliant actress and mm. that to start with she is kind of playing she's not just mm. she's not just playing She's playing things. something she's that's completely other. Completely other. Yeah. Mm.
0: And then she has to come in and be not so the, other and so that's <laughs> why it works.
2: The Husks possibly is one one thing too many. But I think they get away with it because yeah, it's that's still, such a small garden and it still conforms to this kind of this kind of weird atmosphere. But I that, don't think that connects with the central themes. The either.
1: set of the ship is the only thing that kind of drags you back to the way in '80s Doctor Who, you know, isn't it? Yeah, really? yeah. but again, but because, I think
0: the hosts kind of do because it's all about evolution, and they've thrown them in as and because because evolution is about changing from one thing to another, basically. Yeah but doing it so slowly that you don't notice that the change is happening. And the husks kind of go against that in that yes. they're an example of you being able to spot that thing happening. Mm. But by the same token, because they're an example of you seeing that thing happening, they also kind of do go. So they kind of, Are they, they made can, the best of it. I just found
2: it slightly more creepy. The, the, the husk that was actually played by Ian Hogg sat in the chair who wraps his arms around... Mm. around someone ace or someone I found that more creepy but that's possibly the execution rather than Uh, that's towards the end of
0: episode 2 something like that yeah he mm. shed his skin yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah that's quite I, I found it all quite creepy mm. I mean it's it's really and even the alien spaceship because it's it's underneath this Victorian house. The rest of the sets are so are mm. so well done mm. that there's a kind of a juxtaposition between the two.
0: You know, mm. the one thing I thought was maybe a bit of a shame is that they had to make this part of the Ace Arc and have it be the haunted house where white bombs white yeah. kids firebomb yeah, it. Actually, there was and a that a bit which stuck out a bit like yeah. a sore thumb. Mm. Mm. Yeah.
2: They did it in an interesting way though. They had the it's one of the rare moments of of completely sort of symbolic, because she had the the flashing lights. Maybe
1: yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. was a late addition, got, that, that, because they're putting this arc all the way through. No, I think
0: that was the starting point for the story. I could be oh, wrong, yeah. but I think that was the starting point for the story. The Doctor takes Ace back to the house where she had a bad you, experience when okay. she was younger.
2: You got the impression that this was the first time in the series history that effectively Andrew Cartmell took his writers to the equivalent of the Chula Indian restaurant Yeah, yeah, and had a lot of conversations with them about, well... We've got to start having an arc. We've got to start creating this arc in the series so it will just carry on mm. into glorious heights. And he did this at the beginning of the season final 25, one, yeah. just, as, just as the series was about to, to mm. finish.
3: Mm. Uh, There's
1: an uh, awful lot to like in there, really. Mm. Do. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and visually, you know, like you yeah. say, the husks mm-hmm. these weird creatures. In dinner suits. I mean, that, uh, visually, that's yeah, cracking. Yeah, yeah.
0: I loved this the first time I saw it, and I've loved it ever since. I've never not loved it. Hmm. I just, but like I say, I think there is that problem in that it's not engaging with people on a variety of levels. Hmm. But then you know that's that's the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. What can you do? Um, obviously, then the story that's come top is the Curse of Fenric. And Jeff Waddell says, as good as classic Doctor Who ever got. Mark Clapham says, crowd-pleasing, best production of the year. Dissolves a bit into metaphor rather than actually making sense towards the end. Christopher Bryant says, this showed that Doctor Who could be about something while at the same time showing us people being attacked by horrible monsters. Probably the most modern story broadcast in the 20th century. The way in which it tries to deal with sexuality is painful, but the important thing <laughs> is that it is trying at all. Rob Irwin says, This felt big budget and expensive compared to the other stories in season 26. World War II soldiers, location shoots, monsters, a spooky story. Oddly, however, it's not a story I'm wildly in love with and want to watch with any regularity, but it is absolutely the best of the season. Steve Herr Creepy, atmospheric, and all of a sudden, Doctor Who seemed very grown up again. Doctor Who was no longer scared to be scary. Dylan Reese says, I didn't see episode four until the VHS release years later, as the Hemovores scared me too much as a (laughs) seven-year-old, so my mother (laughs) stopped me from watching it. I actually don't think I've seen the full broadcast version, because obviously the VHS was the extended one. So can only really go off the extended VHS and DVD release, but this is as good as it gets. Sylvester is absolutely captivating, and the scene where he convinces Ace to lose faith in him is really disturbing. The Ancient One and the Haemovores are a brilliant design, and the whole story oozes suspense and scares. I'd love to see Ian Briggs come back and do a big finish. Brendan Day says, My personal favourite McCoy story with so much to enjoy a creepy underwater beginning with Russians replacing Unit as the military force, Ace using his sexuality to beguile and bamboozle one of the soldiers. Sylvester McCoy is on fine form, with the right mix of mystery, discipline and comedy, as he positively dances through this story with obvious glee. With a lot of location shooting, this episode hasn't dated us some of the more studio-bound stories. Finally, the supporting actors are all, even the two teenage famps, well cast with Nicholas Parsons no. reminding us that he was a fine actor before game shows took him away. His portrayal of a clergyman grappling with conscience with his conscience and faith during wartime has to be some of the most mature themes handled in the classic era. And John Rivers says, The Seventh Doctor has been flirting with the ideas of fascism, the Great Architect, the Bannermen, the Daleks and the South American Nazis, and now he finally lands in World War II. Bags of atmosphere, stunt casting that works, and Ace is handed a few shocks about her family. Yes, it seems a little too loose at times, not helped by the enforced running time edits, but alongside Remembrance, provides the blueprint for 90s Doctor Who via the new adventures. And that's the end of the comments. I think the target novelisation provided the blueprint for the, the new adventures rather than the story itself. I think the texture of the story itself is the starting point, though.
2: I don't know. I mean, it's a really traditional feeling story. And that's, but, and that's something that the new adventures played off. I think,
0: uh, But the one thing that's different is that instead of it being monsters that get zapped by being zapped and that are after invading the planet by taking it over by force, it's got that central theme where it's all about faith. Yeah. And that's the... To me, that's the key to where the new adventures kick off. Because it's... A conceptual conceit at the heart of the story, rather yeah. than a physical conceit. Yeah, maybe. But I okay is I'll lay it down. Curse of Fenric. I think it is fantastic. I think the two girls put me off when I first they are watched it.
1: Truly awful. They they give the impression of they're the two people who aren't playing. As what I've been saying all the way through this podcast, playing it straight. I just get the impression they're kind of being off snigger in the corner when they're not on doing their scenes.
0: <laughs> and the one other thing about it is the way it ends. I had the same issue with the ending of this as I did with The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. In that and you know, this is an issue that's through the, throughout the Hinchcliffe Holmes three years as well. In every story in Hinchcliffe and Holmes, the entire universe is in peril because of something that somebody's done. I'm exaggerating when I say the entire universe is in peril, but, you know, one week you've got Planet of Evil, where if they don't put the antimatter back, the universe will explode. Then the next week you've got Pyramids of Mars, where if somebody doesn't stop Sutek, it'll destroy the entire universe. And so it carries on. Every week the universe seems to be in peril. And then in Greatest Show in the Galaxy and Curse of Fenric, quarter of a century into Doctor Who... And all of a sudden, you've got this evil since the dawn of time that you've never seen before. I don't have an issue with seeing something for the first time. People say, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example now, but I mean, I, okay, it's a bad example, but an example. Davros turns up in Genesis of the Daleks, and then you, you never see the Daleks without him. Mm. And you're thinking, well, oh, I'll tell you what's a good example, Torchwood. Every story that takes place on contemporary earth before series three of the new series, Mm. you're thinking, so where were Torchwood when this was happening? I don't have an issue with that because you can't put something like Torchwood in before you've actually created it. Mm. But my issue with Curse of Fenric and the greatest show in the galaxy is not that they're presenting something that they've just created, but they're presenting something that they're saying has been there all the time.
2: Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a problem with, and this comes from, I think, the Doctor being presented as this kind of almost yes, godlike figure. So exactly. there's a presumption that the only the only villains who can oppose him have to be gods themselves. But we know from the Happiness Patrol that that's not the case because exactly. the Happiness Patrol is a really local problem mm. that's solved really locally. So uh, Helena isn't a god in any way.
0: Yeah, what it's effectively saying is by making the Doctor out with his godlike figure and then giving him two stories, not quite in a row, but almost in a row, where he's facing the evil since the dawn of time, you're almost saying every other story he's ever been involved with doesn't really matter. Well,
2: also, I mean, it's the same with Ghostlight and it's the same with Battlefield as well. All of these things have godlike figures mm. coming back. It's only really survival in this, in this series where it's gone back to this kind of domestic... Smaller story. Well, and
0: even then, the change in Ace is the kind of change that you might expect to find in something like Greek mythology or something. Yes, in, yeah. Uh, but, so, the, the perilous, but you don't have an actual global. Yeah,
2: yeah. Whereas, whereas certainly Battlefield, the Peril is global. And Ghostlight, the Peril is the entire human race
0: from yeah, the Victorian hero. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, so I don't really have that big an issue with it, but the way it's presented it's almost mm. presented as if you're supposed to kind of, it's almost as if it's winking at the audience and saying, Well, you knew this was coming. Mm. And the audience is sitting there thinking, Well, no, I didn't. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It kind of, the ending of Curse of Fenrir, I think, lets it down a bit. But up till then, apart from the two girls, it's, oh, and apart from the uh, sexuality scene, it is really, really good. It's really good.
2: And I think, it's everything that Ghostlight isn't, but it's still it's really good. But it's the sort yeah. of the flip side of of Ghostlight. For in that it's spelling it's, everything it's out. It's linear. It's spelling everything out. It's a perfectly straightforward story. Yes, it does have the faith, but the faith, the faith yeah, aspect is, is of... even it's 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 demonstrated, and it's shown, and it's shown in, in parallel, and it's explained as well.
0: But me. in a way, it's kind of a sister concept to ghost light in in ghost light you're talking about matters of faith explained through science Mm. and here you're talking about and science and faith aren't the right words but you know what I mean there you're talking about spiritual things explained through corporeality and here you're talking about corporeal things explained through spirituality well they're both big metaphysical ideas exactly but they've been looked at from opposite angles
2: yeah yeah I mean, you know, in some ways, they're the perfect pairing. I think I watched, um, I listened to the High Council podcast, where they they have you heard of that one?
0: I've heard of it. I'm not sure if I've heard it.
2: I think they had. Um, oh, I you mean the uh, where they go through the yeah yeah, yeah, stories, yeah, 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 yeah episode by episode, and yeah, they did yeah, yeah. Curse of Fenric. and they really didn't like it. They really they really ripped it to pieces, and and part of it was they couldn't follow it. They didn't they didn't they couldn't they didn't seem to be able to See, possibly don't... because they're providing a commentary and talking yeah. to it. And it is still I mean it's less dense than ghost like, but it still is quite a dense story. I think you still need to sort of listen to mm. listen to the dialogue and watch what's happening.
0: I've never understood that issue with it though, because people have said, Oh, because they over scripted it and there was too much and they had to cuss stuff out, there are bits that don't quite add up and I never and again maybe it's because i was 21 when i first saw it and so i found it easy to follow but i never had any problems again, with it again
2: i was i was what 12 and followed i followed it, it. and like yeah. Dylan Reece, actually it's the it's the the third the last time i was frightened by dr who hmm. and actually the first time since terror of the vervoids at that point that i was frightened by dr who so none of none of uh, the rest of Sylvester McCoy really frightened me. But but Ghostlight actually got to me. Not Ghostlight. Uh, Curse, Curse of Fenry yeah. actually actually frightened me.
1: When I refreshed my memory with this, I watched a lot of it and Fast Forward and just kind of stopped at the <laughs> specific points. So yeah. it can't
2: have been that it's, confusing, if you sort of no, mean it. No,
0: but I, I think... I, yeah, think I don't go, think it remotely is, no.
2: I find Ghostlight more watchable than Curse of Henry. i I tend to... And I, I think agree, you're, you actually. were right that it doesn't start it it needs to start slightly more dramatically. Yeah, or Curse of Fenric is a earlier. good
0: mid to end of season story. It's I tell you what Curse of Fenric is, it's the empty child stroke human nature stroke um silence from the library slot. Story. It's just yeah, the, yeah. It's,
1: it's just a, augmented with these yeah. things
2: and the performances. I mean, mm. Judson, that the, the the scene where Judson gets possessed Mm. And, and I think it's the cliffhanger to episode three. Probably, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's an amazing. That's a really yeah. fantastic. I like his blinking that he does. Yeah, He's yeah, blinking. Yeah, but that's and, um, so good. Mm, that's really good. Mm. And is it I, the fir- the first underwater filming? Um, somebody mentioned that in the comments. That just struck me. No, yeah, and yeah you the see team. dead. You, know, you see they, dead bodies they, under the water. As oh, well. really.
0: Warriors of the Deep had Peter Davison in a tank, not Peter. But did yeah, they Peter actually De... film
2: underwater? Did they actually spend the money to show? Yeah, them underwater?
0: because they okay. went to a. Okay. Piss. Yeah, but Warriors of the Deep is rubbish. Whereas, <laughs> this is really good. It so yeah, felt a little bit a clunky
1: right at the start. The opening shots are a little bit clunky, and as much as you actually, see, what? you see the, the soldiers well, there was, there was, coming yeah. in, yeah, mm. and then within seconds you see the the uh, Viking boat underneath.
2: They were slightly scuppered, I think, with with filming day for night but also they had changeable mm. weather as well and you could tell.
1: That was more editing though, I just felt like it kind of got the elements and then said, oh there's that there's that, Right, yeah, and that's okay. it, bang, like that yeah. so there was no build up whatsoever
0: yeah. I kind of like it when Doctor Who starts with the Doctor and the Companion and you have to find everything out through them mm. yeah. Um and actually the first ten minutes of Curse of Fenric the scenes with the Doctor and Ace uh perhaps my favorite sort of opening to a story from their perspective that we'd had in years because because i've always liked doctor who when it's out somewhere fairly rural, and where they're investigating something. Mm. And this is what you had for the first, well, for the first episode, really. They're meeting people, they're going to places, they're looking at things, they're working stuff out.
2: And also, also, their entry to the story is very new series. So the doctor, effectively, when he when really he presents the, I mean, it's an yeah, outrageous yeah, scene. Yeah, he yeah. types it and he does the signature. That's his version of the psychic paper. That mm. just gets him into the story. Without having to worry about being locked up as a spy, and of course, even though it's pretty, you would be locked up as a spy. But <laughs> well, yeah, I quite, I quite like the outrageousness of it.
0: And of course, the and yeah, again, that's another sort of that theme of the Seventh Doctor being able to talk his way out of yeah, situations. Is yeah. another example of that. And I quite like the. Um, I forget where I was gonna. There's also, the it's a relatively new series-y type thing, but obviously it's the theme of the season, so it's not like we've not mentioned it, where the Ace storyline goes by the end of the story. Mm. And you also, although you don't get a sense that they've deliberately come there because of that, By the end of the story, you get a sense of the fact that the TARDIS perhaps... If you think about it, you get a sense of the fact that the TARDIS would never have brought them here if it hadn't been for... That's where this story was going to end up going.
2: There is a bit of outrageous... I mean, you can tell that these are starting to be fans writing. Yeah. Because there's an outrageous Mm. retconning feel to when one of the characters says, remember the chess set in Lady (laughs) Payford's study, which is obviously not... They weren't planning... Curse of Fenric back yeah, in Silver Nemesis but actually I quite They're like using that. it.: I think it works I think that's fair enough they might, the dialogue that bit of dialogue is a bit clunky but actually yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. The, actually the, the retconning the whole of Ace's backstory that works for me I think that holds together
0: but it's a case of taking what elements you've got and using them to your best advantage yeah. the fact that Ace doesn't <clears throat>
2: recognise her own grandmother
0: what I really Let's... like about this, and I think Ghostlight is probably the most extreme example of it, and oh, no, I'm on record of saying this many times, I think Happiness Patrol is my favourite example of it. Um, and it starts in season 24, and it's a move away from the really cursory dialogue that you had mm. during the latter Peter Davison and Colin Baker stories. It's a move into dialogue that might not be necessarily realistic, but that's memorable.
2: Well, it's, it's no it's no surprise that a lot of the writers for those three seasons either became novelists yeah, or, yeah. or, new, new, or used target novelisations mm. to slightly expand them, or they became, you know, new adventures novelists. So Ben Aronovich and Mark Platt. Mm. I mean, you know... Ian Briggs, I think I think they're right. Ian Briggs is a really good writer. His, yeah, 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 right. yeah. All those ideas tying into the Viking. Dragon in, in Vic- Dragonfire's Dragon a bit brilliant. of a mess, but yeah. like,
0: I think I think in Dragonfire, uh, I think what he really needs in Dragonfire is to kick up the backside, telling him yeah. to sort his story yeah. out, but I think that a lot of the other elements are great. Yeah, I think Dragonfire actually suffers from similar problems to Battlefield, in a way.
2: Yes, but Curse of Fenric... The fact that it's his idea to bring the Vikings in and parallel this with the Russians and mm. even having the Russians invading in this weird kind of they're supposed to be on our side, but not. yeah yeah, and yeah. a Millington study being a kind of a recreation mm. in order to get into the mindset of the Oh yeah, races. and the
1: idea of the, the machine yeah, there're being a copy. Yeah, yeah, elsewhere, and then when it decodes a certain word, that yeah,
2: it's or the runes being effectively a circuit diagram, mm. which, a, which was used in Horns, Horns of Nine, which yeah, which yeah. i but but
0: yeah, it's he's still, take, it's, he's it's got stupid. again, it's a story with lots of elements, hmm. but actually, and this is like the um more uh easy to understand jigsaw puzzle that Ghostlight wasn't, hmm. it's like all those different elements are clues on the way to a solution. Yeah. Mm. But actually,
2: look at looking at the whole season, the season as a whole, there's so much imagination yeah. in here. Considering it's the 26th year mm. of this story, the, the amount of imagination compared to, say, the Trial of the Time Lord season, or even some of the Peter Davison stories, mm. is outrageous. Mm. The number of, mm. like, I mean, medieval knights with guns, uh, the Doctor is Merlin um an an alien god underneath the um, victorian
0: mansion, the same is true of seasons twenty four and twenty five <laughs> yeah well. yeah, but it's, I think this is this is the season where it, it this is the one where it really like gels like together, yeah yeah, where so, it's so strong it's just i don't know whether if we'd have had season twenty seven it wouldn't have been the big dis Biggest disappointment probably, of all well, time. Actually,
2: hearing of that, I'm fairly uninspired by this, the story. Yeah, that I know, that's what I mean. Magazine. Yeah. I, think, I, I, I think it was probably... I don't think we'd have the Doctor Who that we have it, if it hadn't been cancelled then.
0: It certainly ended on a high. Yeah. Regardless of what you think about survival as opposed to the other stories or whatever, certainly ended on a high in terms of the overall season. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's got those two tent. Temp- Pegs in the middle, temples in the middle, yeah. real high watermark for quality, Curse mm. of Fenric and Ghostlight. But all four stories, I think, yeah. are really good examples of stories that are trying to push the envelope on Doctor Who mm. while being true to the spirit of Doctor Who. Yeah, mm. Mm. And, you know, I think that's they're, they're the not, important thing. They're not
2: attempts to make Doctor Who. They're attempts to their attempts to bring in these inventive ideas and create a Doctor Who story out of them. Yeah, and they're think, not yes, looking to emulate the past in any way. Instead of yeah. trying to
0: make Doctor Who be something it isn't, yeah. mm. or instead of trying to put something into Doctor Who without moulding it into the Doctor Who shape, all four of these stories, including Ghostlight, in spite of what I said about it... Yeah and making a new kind of Doctor Who that's still which is, properly but, Doctor Who.
2: Which is why I'm really excited that Frank
0: Cottrell-Boyce is writing
2: for the new series, Yeah, because that's exactly what he does. So Forest of the Night and also Kill the Moon, these are the stories that well, are... it was Peter Harness. Peter Harness, and, mm. but yeah. Well, yeah, but those are the sorts of stories that are doing this, bringing an idea in and making a Doctor Who story out of it. Yeah. And yeah. some fans don't feel comfortable with that. They, no. want, they want to start with the idea of a base under siege or a Hinchcliffe shocker and then and then let the ideas develop and, out yeah. of that structure rather than... Bring I mean, in a big
0: structures. idea and set it somewhere yeah. where a Doctor mm-hmm. Who story is
2: mm-hmm. set. I mean, Ghostlight doesn't fit in with any model of previous Doctor Who. It is not a It is a
0: base under siege, in fact, but... But it's not. I mean, the, somebody made the pieces. illusion between Ghostlight and Hinchcliffe um it looks like a Hinchcliffe. Yeah. It yeah. Is light years away it's light as a way in story actually, terms. It
2: actually looks more like a sort of David Whittaker story. It's more like Evil uh, the Evil it's a bit of the Darlings, yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Or at least the early bits of Evil yeah, of the Daleks yeah. But yeah, it's kinda uh, But all I mean Curse of Fenric as well kind of Relates back to the sort of Hinge Cliff from a certain visual perspective, yeah. but in storytelling, it's, fairly... it's millions and millions of years away. Mm, yeah,
3: mm.
0: well, anybody got anything more to add oh, about I'm done. <laughs> I'm saying, yeah, well, no, I'll say as much as that it's
2: really uh, picked it up in my estimations, which one of those times where actually talking about it has made me more excited about. And when we were talking about Ghostlight. I was coming across as being quite aggressive but that was me being really excited about the story and am yeah, yeah, increasingly yeah. excited because I was because it was inspiring such a discussion that's I how good a, that's how do good we, a story do is do we it like because... the overly long
1: um, face cleaning scene <laughs> what's that <laughs> there's that where there's kind of a lovely moment isn't there between Ace and the Doctor where they're cleaning each other's face while oh, they're talking yeah. oh, I like oh it. yeah it was a little yeah. bit nice.
0: too
2: long
1: yeah. how did you think Maybe. so
0: yeah, I, don't, I can't me. say I noticed it. I didn't. I that's mean, me that does, picky or whether that, I'm just uncomfortable. That does
2: scream it. of two actors who are having a really nice time. I know. And that's I lovely. Look, I wanted to see more of it. And you got that from the the documentary about uh, Silver Nemesis. I was going to well. say you yeah. actually get
0: it in Silver Nemesis. Mm.
2: I I also just one more thing um, with Curse Fenric. I saw there was a behind the scenes documentary. Mm. It was in Take Two, presented by I think Philip Schofield, and they actually focused on the decomposition of the two girls at the end, their death scenes. Oh, yeah. And I think it interviewed the girls. And I think, yeah, that's probably coloured the way I I think of those. Because that was the only time I'd actually accidentally seen behind-the-scenes <laughs> footage before. Oh, really? Before the story was aired. Right.
0: Um, See, I didn't yeah. think they were taking the piss out of it. I just thought they were poor. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. But, yeah. I, I suppose maybe it's just me reading into it, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, you definitely got the impression though they thought, oh, we're in Doctor Who to be the monsters, so mm. let's be the monsters in Doctor Who.
1: Yeah, and there's that point where they they come out of the water and they entice that soldier, and I thought, well, I'd probably run the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but then again, well, I mean, you're probably supposed to also think that there's something psychic going on there as well, actually, yeah, yeah. during that scene. Anyway, that's season 26 then. And I think we can all agree that we all thought it was a bit of a disappointment, didn't we? <laughs> Do we rank it? Um, we don't usually on these, but I mean... But let's oh, let's all say our favourite then, I guess, but I mean... I Ghostlight. You know, we've already said <laughs> it, haven't we? Yeah. Ghostlight, yeah. Yeah, Ghostlight. But I mean, you know, on another... Uh, I think if Battlefield had been better produced... And hadn't had the issues that we talked about. I think that would have been my favourite because that's my kind of Doctor Who. I understand why Curse is is top because yeah, it's just yeah. solid Doctor
1: Who with a little flash of inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a playing um, card.
2: It's a playing card for me between Curse of Fenric and Ghostlight. But mm. Ghostlight is just, I think, because it's so coherent. For, and when I say coherent, I think the set design. The performances, mm. the costume design, the music—consistent then. The music. Well, it's, it's this kind of complete production, mm. which sometimes Doctor Who isn't. Sometimes something like jazz or something doesn't work, mm. but what you've you got think? all of these designers and musicians working together to create something.
0: What did you think when you first saw it? When um, Catherine Schlesinger's suddenly playing "That's the Way to the Zoo." So it's fantastic. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I suddenly—I just—I was watching that. And I was thinking. When was the last time anybody sat down at a piano and played a song yeah, in Doctor Who? But that's, I'm thinking, why doesn't it happen more but that, often? That
2: speaks of the writer, and the, it's a bit like understanding the, what, Dead, what Deadly He's Doing. Assassin was the same was the same one with the set designs. It's the the designer actually talking to the director, and the 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 incidental musician talking to the director and the writer. And actually working to create together to create something. <clears throat> and that's how you create good films and good television.
0: And actually, that song's your biggest clue as to what is going on, probably. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, next week, we will be back with... What's the next one up? Vincent and the Doctor. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next... Well, assuming anything doesn't go wrong again, because I keep promising stories and we don't always necessarily get there. But all being well, next week we'll be back with Vincent and the Doctor. And we'll see how it holds up. Because I think Vincent and the Doctor was one of those stories that was such a shock to the system when it was first on. I wonder if it will still feel the same way about it now. But anyway, until then, I was Matt. I was Simon. And I was JR. And we'll speak again soon.